This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Misa. Hi, I'm Evan. We're going to talk about Orphans of the Sky by Robert A. Heinlein. First published as uh, two novellas, uh, Universe and Common Sense in Astounding, May 1941 and October 1941. And uh, I remember this book fairly well, except for the back half, which I basically didn't remember at all. And thinking about it a lot, I think that's the back half of this book barely needs to exist. I think the yeah, I was feeling part- I could do without it. There, there are some things I like in this back half, but, uh, I would, I would have said it's good at the end of universe. What did you think, Mike? This is your first time reading it, right? Yeah. Um, I, I kind of liked having the back half to, to finish it. Although I didn't like the ending. Yeah. <laughs> <But> I mean, <laughs> well, so. there's good things about the ending and bad things about the ending. Um, it's, it's a tearjerker in a certain sense. It's also a wife jerker. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, So, um... Yeah, wife jerker. (laughs) um, My guess is that he wrote Universe, and then uh, Campbell said, hey, can you do some more? Uh, Finish the story off. And Heinlein's like, sure. Um... But I, I don't think common sense works on its own at all. I think no, if you no. had just read it, you would you would say, know what was going on. Yeah, and uh, so a lot of the things that are implied at the end of universe happen here. Uh, they don't perhaps happen the way you would have imagined it. But um, before we talk about all the good things that are in here, which I think there are a lot of, I want to talk about some of the things that are missing. Um, and one of them is. Uh, the environmental angle. Um, it never occurred to me, I guess, at the time I read this first, when I was probably a teenager. Yeah, I must have been a teenager. Um, that the ship would be like reducing, like, furnishings <laughs> all the time. <laughs> like, that, that, by the time we're at the generation that our main character is, wandering around the spaceship they they would like have a lot less stuff in their ship mm-hmm. right cuz yeah. you're you keep feeding the converter <laughs> you're going to run out of stuff yeah. and uh there nobody in the history you know not the witness or anybody s- seems to say you know back in my day we had more material goods Uh, (laughs) it's like there used to be paintings on the walls or whatever (laughs) Um, but he sort of touches that in the second half when they get on the ship's boat right to go down to a planet or whatever they touch on to that yeah they're going to feed the books in or (laughs) he says one of his wives (laughs) oh my god (laughs) Uh, speaking of which right at the end um you guys caught this uh one of his wives the unnamed one um sort of disappears for a bit because she lost a tooth i think that he might have hit her you think so 
What do you think? Because why would she, why would she go away because she lost a tooth? I think it was supposed to be misogyny. I think it's supposed to be him abusing her and not thinking anything of it. She doesn't even have a name. Uh, I didn't get the I didn't get the impression that he would, but well, he did, he did threaten to throw her in the converter. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but there was no violence other than there was a lot of that small bit. Of, I mean, towards the towards the women, they were they were just so non-existent. Yeah, like, they are very non-existent for sure. The only female uh, that I don't think there's a female mentioned in the first half of the book, other than oh, he, there's a girl he likes. No. What, right? what about the wasn't the mutant the first mutant that chased him female, the very oh. first one? Yeah, oh, maybe. really? Yeah, I think she was. I think huh. it was a, a female. Well, no wonder he hates girls. But there's no real <laughs> characters. But no. There's no character. No. In the second half, we do get uh, the the knife making lady who they want swords from, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and she has four arms. Yeah. Um, and and you know she's promised good eating while she's making the swords. Um, she's like the only. I think his he has a second wife that had a name because she was a widow. And she got to keep her name. Yeah, she got to keep. Oh, so generous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I well, think there's that, a lot more that could have been done in a lot of ways just to make this more of a real world, like under, like how it works. Like, yeah, we don't, we don't yeah, see the walls. Yeah. We don't see the Energy farm decks. And, I mean, if they had a replicator, that would, that's one thing, but they don't seem to have anything like that. Just, oh, he's, he's inventing quite a, bu- a bit of stuff in yeah. here. This matter converter thing. Um, yeah, we, that exists. Uh, that's that's, that's um, close as he gets to kind of explaining how this is at all sustainable. Uh, but you have to uh, you have to remember this is even before you know nuclear bombs. Nineteen forty one is very early. So uh, I, well, I I was thinking of, it, was, it was people. He, they were feeding the converter people. Oh, like, definitely. Let let those mutants breed, <laughs> breed and breed and breed. Uh yeah. So so that's the angle where I was like, wait, why, why isn't this covered? Like. If you if you lived in a in a school for twenty years, you know that school would be get pretty torn up. And we know that the ship's made of metal, but they're also making knives, right? So where's that metal coming from? Is there like a room full of iron bars for them to make knives from, or are they just stripping off you know hinges and door panels and lockers? Good, good it, question. It yeah. sounds like they actually are doing that uh, because when they get to a place that hasn't had that done. There's stuff in there, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, had you read this one before, Evan? I, I've I read Universe because it's in the Hall of Fame, right? Right. Um, and I I never read Common Sense, and yeah, I could have done. I I thought all the interesting thematic stuff is pretty much in Universe. Mm-hmm. The stuff that mm-hmm. interested me, anyways. Um, mm-hmm. It's but, it, the good news is it's yeah. short. The second half is it's two and a half hours or whatever, so it's short. Too. Yeah, it's still longer than the first part. Is it? It's oh, that's the first part. That yeah. sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, I yeah. There's a lot of like, let's. How are we going to do this? Um, there's one cool thing. Um, I was thinking about, and it seems to be confirmed by subsequent research. Um, obviously, there's a few uh, illusions going on. Um, like uh. Uh, at the end when, uh, one for all and all for one, mm-hmm. refer back <laughs> to this book they've all read. 
um, yeah. which is cool. Um, but actually, I was thinking this during the second half. It's like, God damn, there's a lot of this thing. You know, like just the organizing, the the remutiny or whatever it is. Um, but I saw, I thought, oh, you know, when they say, oh yeah, we should get the women too. Um, mm-hmm. I was thinking, oh, this is uh, the mutiny on the bounty. And in a subsequent um, novel, Heinlein does actually name the moon that they're on. Uh, these descendants of our main characters, and they call it uh, Pit Karen's planet or something like that. Um, which is why I think it this book, the second half of the book, is this. Whereas I don't think the first half of the book is supposed to be a mutiny on the bounty reference. It's just there was a mutiny historically, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't work out exactly how that mutiny actually happened, right? They, it's actually reversed because um, the ship went to the bounty went to Pitcairn Island, and the ship's boat went to went with uh, Bly to Australia. So it's actually, or uh, some other colony in the West Pacific. Um, so it's actually not a perfect parallel, but I, I did think about that. And that actually, I think, uh, explains the misogyny as well. Um, because the guys who did that, uh, you know, Fletcher Christian, etc., they're real fuckers. They were not nice people. <laughs> um, and, uh, they did kidnap a bunch of ladies and, you know, took them off to their, uh, their mm, bounty planet. <laughs> their uh, Pitcairn Island. So it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't like, um, supposed to be friendly. I think, I think that's why that thing about the tooth is in there. I think that that timeline sort of indicating in the same way that he does, like, uh, they found a box of books. Uh, that boys somehow always find hidden away, right? It's, it's <laughs> pornography. I think this is him saying, um, I just hit my wife. That's really sad then. I mean, if yeah. that's, if that's who's starting off this, this new world. Yes. It really. Well, it's like the Sabine dark. women, right? The Sabine women. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just start your civilization with, with, um, patriarchy. It's all the whole Western civilization. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> it ends it, with it, the. It doesn't feel like it's going to be that way at the beginning of the book, right? But there is kind of a, it, it's, it, there's a general cruelty everywhere, right? So I, 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 my favorite character is Bobo. <laughs> 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 I sympathize a lot with Bobo. <laughs> but I, I like Jim, Joe Jim as well. Uh, mm-hmm. but I can't really sympathize with, with our main character. I don't even know it was Hugh. Hugh. Yeah, Hugh. Hugh. I can't really sympathize with him because he's a wife beater, I think. Um, he's, uh, th- there's lots of good things in here, but, um, <laughs> it is very misogynistic. And in a way that is, um, it's, it's done so that you might not notice it as much, <laughs> I think. But I, I, I can't think of any reason why it's mentioned that she lost a tooth at that point in the book. Other than he needs to indicate that he is being cruel and not caring, right? There's there's a there's slavery in this book, right? Bobo is a slave. Yeah. 
There's a uh, uh, genocide, right? Everybody's planning it. There's a, a, a crazy religion everywhere, right? And um, and there's a, a an amazing analogy to um, the Bible, which is mm-hmm. awesome. Um, yeah, that was great. So good. Um, but there's also uh, a great line. I I don't know if you guys caught this. I doubt I would have caught it uh, the first time I had read this. It's sort of near the end of the of universe uh, when uh, Hugh gets locked up uh, and he's arguing with the, you know, the uh, captain. Uh, and he says, and yet it moves <laughs> the ship. Yeah, that's Galileo. Yeah, it's a line from Galileo when he gets locked <laughs> up, right? Well, th- um, that's how we kind of read the whole book is it's at least universe. Universe, um, yes. Is is kind of an allegory for the scientific revolution, right? We're yes. on this thing we don't know. We're on this we're we're on this planet. We don't quite know how it got there. We have our stories and our religion explaining that. You know, and then once people start to observe, they get a new explanation. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of how the scientific revolution sort of plays out. And then it you get to use the same line, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I, I guess if if I was going to be generous, you could say that he's treating women like this because the society is backwards and fun. Like they've got this fundamentalist religion. It and, is. They call it science, but <laughs> right. they're scientists, and, and, but they're and, actually and priests. Maybe, yeah, and that may be part of of the this world be, because of their background. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I was thinking, like, if if Heinlein wrote, um, he didn't, right? He didn't write historical fiction. But imagine Heinlein wrote a, a colonial rebellion story set during uh, the American Revolution. Uh, I can totally picture his characters. You know, you're you're gonna have uh, some guy riding on a horse saying, "The British are coming! The British are coming!" And then they go into a tavern and have uh, an ultimatum off <laughs> about how, who's gonna run. <laughs> You know, the rebellion here or whatever and George Washington. Um, but I don't think he would have any illusions that these people were not slave owners and, um, general bastards, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he would not focus on that because that's not the part that, you know, it would sort of bog down the story because he's, what he's interested in is the, is the revolution. Um, but he would tip his hand to show that these people were like that. Um, I know Evan, you're, um, you're going through Ben Franklin. Um, yeah. and, uh, I read, I read Ben Franklin's, one of his autobiographies and that guy, a very sympathetic character, right? Yeah. Very different, uh, very thoughtful, definitely, you know, has his ideas, but a dynamo of, of, thinking and uh, argumentation and he's different from a lot of uh the other founding fathers in that respect because he's always arguing for interesting thoughts that you know if you just go with the flow which a lot of what is going on in this book is going with the flow but joe jim who is never depicted in the images uh that i think i sent you guys um (laughs) He's never, he's never shown as like three or four times older than our main character, right? He looks, except that, except that they said he, he's been reading for several generations. That's right. So he's got to be, you know, in his sixties at least. Mm -hmm. Um, but 
he he just seems like a guy uh, other than or, uh, yeah a guy uh, so one of the reasons i wanted to read this was because the pronouns i wanted to figure out what the pronouns were um do you guys uh, <laughs> notice that the he's never referred to as a they or a them it's always mm-hmm. him um <laughs> and they jo will jim. have joe jim yeah 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 um and i didn't find it uh like at all confusing uh, i was like oh that's interesting um mm-hmm. because uh you know this is actually a real phenomenon P- do pe- people sometimes do have two heads not very often yeah <laughs> but it sometimes happens and this guy seems pretty uh upwardly mobile as in he's able to walk around and and not be a problem um and i like their little bit of bickering and stuff but um uh it's kind of weird right I, I i this is probably the first time i was introduced to it as a teenager uh people with two heads and uh i i i think it would be pretty fun to experience like if you had a friend who is two-headed one of them goes to sleep and the other one you can have a conversation with and play chess with or checkers um so uh and uh i've read about it subsequently um and when one of those heads dies which actually happens in this right mm-hmm. um the other person dies usually pretty quick thereafter yeah uh, or the other guy, maybe not the other person, because it's the same person. A person as in body, right? Um, and then, uh, with regards to, like, control of limbs, right? The, the, Joe Jim is highly coordinated, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and they, sh- they, he, hims share, um, uh, ability to control his body. It's weird. And yeah, he doesn't, it's interesting. He doesn't spend that much time explaining it. It just flows, right? Mm-hmm. But but to think of this two-headed person playing chess with himself. It's checkers. I don't think he ever no, plays he chess, right? I think they started with chess. But Maybe. it was too hard. It was Maybe. too hard. And, oh, and, yeah, yeah. Right. And then they switched to checkers, I, I think. Um, and I, I think this is actually really important because this is our info dump old man character that mm-hmm. Heinlein usually has. Um, but it's two guy, right? In one body. And they <laughs> figured out that hims figured out, uh, that the ship was, uh, not the whole universe by arguing with himself. You know why, Jesse? Why? Because two heads are better than one. <laughs> I think that that is literally true, Mason. <laughs> yeah. You can like call yourself on your own bullshit if you've got a second head. Right. <laughs> Zephod Briebelbrox is proof <laughs> that two heads are better than one. <laughs> yep. So um, I talked for a bit. What do you guys think of this book? Is it eminently forgettable? I don't think so. Is it? Um, universe isn't. But no. Um, the second half, I just, I just did not need it at all. There's very little that was, was, uh, I I like seeing Bobo get killed. I mean, I, I know it's bad, but I felt, I felt bad. That's why Hmm. I like seeing, um, Joe Jim sacrifice him, himself. Um, it was, uh, an emotional catharsis you don't generally get with modern, (laughs) 
fiction where everybody comes back to life for the next sequel or they didn't really die. Mm. Uh, so I, I liked uh, having those things closed off and, you know, they were, it was kind of sweet. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't need it. Um, and uh, them landing on, on the moon. I mean, I, I think that was all implied in a certain sense. However, um, thinking about the title, um, it makes sense that these, these are orphans because they, uh, they're in space and the parents have all died, right? Because mm-hmm. of the mutiny. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why they don't know, uh, who they are and they don't know that they're on a generation starship and all that. Um, however, if you think about it, um, who are the real orphans of the sky at the end of the book? Oh, it's the, the ones left on the ship. That's right. And, and, but orphans of the sky, they're also orphans from Earth, too. Uh, they are orphans. Uh, both groups are orphans from Earth, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, the ones who are left behind and, and purposeless in a certain sense mm-hmm. are the ones... Uh, was there only one ship's boat? Because if there is... And I didn't. I don't remember them saying, "Oh, look, there's three of these lockers." No, they didn't. There were other doors, but yeah. Um, if there's only one ship's boat, then they really are stuck there forever. And eventually, the heat death of the universe uh, of the physical ship the Vanguard will happen, right? Because they're going to run out of converter material, uh, and it'll all be over. And it was purposeless so that's the really cool thing about um this book is it especially universe it all it's all in universe right is that Mm -hmm. it is an allegory for the human condition as well (laughs) as being a a hard sf story uh and sort of a retelling of the human uh experience on earth where we think we're the center of the universe (laughs) <laughs> we are yeah. literally the center of the universe and all those meaningless stars patterns outside those are not important they're not real it's all an illusion and we are all going on the trip <laughs> yeah i don't know that's interesting to dissect a little bit the pur- purposelessness yes they're, uh, they're not purposelessness and they don't have a they have a purpose at the beginning of the book they it's have a religious their, they purpose they have their culture. They have their society. They're sustainable. They have their genocides they need to do. <laughs> they have a purpose. It's only when you reveal what they really are, then you can say, well, they don't have a purpose. But so that's a very destructive element of. Hence, they you know, don't want a huge little intellectual revolution there. <sighs> yeah. And I don't, I don't, I, I think Heinlein's fully on the side of you here, but I think yes. we can be a little bit. Uh, um, I guess critical about the way he handled it. I suppose. Well, it seemed like they're that purpose. he's it's 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 okay. only in the scientific kind of worldview where you'd say that that what existed didn't have any value at all, or or, or didn't have a purpose because. <clears throat> They don't have a like. Once you land, there's no purpose either. Like you said, heat death of the universe. Definitely, definitely. So it 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 sweeps everything under a rug and then says, "Don't look under the rug," <laughs> because they they get you know our 
the crew of the Vanguard had a purpose, right? They were going to go to Alpha Centauri. They go to Far Centaurus. They forgot about that. That's what it wasn't a metaphor. And I think those parts of the universe where the scientist is saying, we almost uh, put you into the converter because your head was too big, but we think yeah. you have potential to be a scientist. Therefore, uh, you should learn to read and you read this and you, all these stuff about uh, gravitation. That see, that's metaphorical for that's a love, a man's love for a woman. <laughs> Yeah. Like, that, that's all really fun stuff, though. It's super if you fun. Think yes. about all our religious yes. texts. Yes, they, they just mm-hmm. kind of, you know, understand the world around them, and then and, it gets interpreted. And well, some I mean, people, that's certainly demonstrably true in a lot of cases. And some people read the Bible as literally true, right? Generally, crazy people uh, at all points. And then other people are saying, no, 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 it's metaphorical at all points. <laughs> and like, wait a second, you both can't be right. And of course, I think neither of them is actually right. I think we've got a combination of some of these are historical incidents being recounted uh, by a tribe of people who want these things recorded for their future culture and f- for their own propaganda. And other ones are like metaphorical explanations and poetry. And other ones are just lists of people. <laughs> lists, of, <laughs> lists of people. Like, uh, it's an artifact of, of the production. It's It's why, like, when you read the Iliad, every town in uh, in Greece gets its own hero, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, the reason that is is because you go from town to town uh, telling the story of this great war. You have to talk about the hometown hero. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's an artifact of that. So when we have that going on in here where some of this is literally true and others of it is metaphorical like the all the electrical stuff that's all true <laughs> all the all the gravitational stuff that's all false that's all metaphor and you're reading it wrong um yeah. uh, so we we are in that exact same situation you're born somebody tells you this is a bible and there's a big guy in the sky who's watching you <laughs> and if you do good things you get to go to heaven um and that's the purpose you're told but then you can have a revelation where actually there is no big guy in the sky and we are orbiting this thing and we don't seem to have a purpose, but uh, this guy will tell you we do. And they have literal wars over it about who's going to be in charge. Mm-hmm. So all of that is compacted into universe and he does an amazing job of not hitting you over the head with it, but just letting it, you know, see, oh, and that's quite obvious, isn't it? <laughs> and well, yeah. it makes great SF. It was interesting. I mean, their purpose was to eat, but... Um, right, good eating. Good eating. But, um, like, there was no art. Like, it, it really, when, when, you, when you take away the light, because there was nothing, right? There was, they could not see anything except the... All there, that's all there was left. There was no... There was no contemplation there was no art there was no like there was nothing for them anymore except eating and and making sex and eating and feeding the converter and and killing right and killing well and killing for the converter like i mean yeah it, it was uh it gave so you a the, lot I think to think the about chief engineer yeah it's striking how little you know there is no art right there's the nothing only, there was the only nothing. thing the only thing they have is some books, some fiction books, and Joe Jim has those, right? And, and they don't even understand fiction. No, yeah, they're just no. they, yeah. I think the author actually steps in at that point and says they didn't know that this was fiction. Yeah, he did. He did. 
historical recounting of like the Galaxy Edson Quest historical <laughs> fiction. <laughs> there you go. Um, so uh, I think that Orphans of the Sky is terrific. Ah, uh, it's not Orphans of the Sky. Universe is terrific science fiction of the social kind, soft science fiction, and also terrific hard SF. Um, and it, the back half is sort of churn. And then there's like a sort of a, you know, how the characters ended up. But I don't think, oh. I, I don't think it's way worse. I just don't think it needed to exist at all. I think you just read universe and, and be very satisfied with those amazing things that are packed into, yeah, like a two, two hour, 20 minute. Hmm. Yeah. I, I think I was interested in the second half because I knew it existed. Right. Yeah, and so yeah. you wanted to go, uh, and get a little more. I wanted more backstory. I wanted to know who, who, why Jordan? Like, who was this Jordan that found, you know, that, that, uh, sent this ship off? And, and I think he's and, like D.D. Harriman. You know, he's, uh, he's like a, it's, it's some Earth guy. And, uh, in. I thought it was some company. I got the. I thought it was some, so yeah, I, it's corporation. I thought so too. But. It, I think mm-hmm. on the Wikipedia entry, it says that in a later Heinlein book, Oh yeah, here it is. In Heinlein's later novel, novel, Time Enough for Love, the Vanguard is briefly mentioned as a sister ship to New Frontiers, which was commanded by, uh, the Methuselah's children <laughs> people. Um, and the Vanguard had been, uh, discovered with its crew long dead because of unexplained failure in mechanisms and records destroyed or illegible. Its path traced back the descendants of Hughes people found flourishing as highly intelligent savages on a planet which scientists call dubbed Pitcairn Island. So it really is like, uh, they were in a massive decline, right? There is no art. They're, they're just scrabbling. And, but when he goes to the chief engineer and says, you know, I think we need to, uh, to write the ship. <laughs> uh, and the, uh, I think it's the chief engineer says, no, like we just, do you know get high up in the position and you have food and you have your wife and this is the easy life mm-hmm. um but really all the, those people do all die and freeze to death and and they were wrong <laughs> it's the kind of the point uh, i think it, 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 it we can extract that if since there was no other sh- we're not going to see another uh, rebellion on the ship and another uh, comprehension that they are on a spaceship going nowhere. No. That their environment is being depleted because they keep feeding things into the converter. On Earth, we don't have exactly that problem. We've got other environmental problems, but we're not running out of material goods to shove into the converter. We might be running out of uh, fossil fuels to shove into our <laughs> engines, but we're not going to run out of sunlight anytime soon. And that there, everything is run by the sun. Like, so I was thinking if you were to rewrite this book as uh starting earlier with a character who's growing up in the society. And basically there's a big gap in the universe between when we first see Hugh and how long he is spends with uh, Joe Jim. Mm-hmm. Right? It's years, right? Mm-hmm. We, that gap, um, if we started him off as like a, an eight year old 
and he's exploring the tunnels or whatever, the upper decks, and he gets kidnapped by the muties and Bobo and uh, becomes the apprentice to this wizard who explains the universe to him. And then we really live with what, how the ship actually the ecosystem works. Like where are the muties food coming from other than the uh, crew of the Vanguard? It's <laughs> a very good question. Um, and how many people live on the Vanguard? Uh, I get the sense that it's more than four. <laughs> In the end of the book, we've got, uh, how many women? At least three on the, on the, uh, on the ship's boat, right? At least three. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I think maybe four or five, maybe six. And a couple of guys, right? Yeah. So, if you expanded it a lot more, you would have to have a lot more characters and you'd have to go into a lot of, a lot more explanations of what the farms are like, which we barely get anything of. And we'd have to get, uh, more on industry and like how food is distributed because, you know, there's the knife maker and she gets good eating during the thing. But is there taxes? Is the church the, ta- you know, is the captain? It seems like that, right? But he's not really interested in that. And that's why I think this is still a good book, even though it is only like two hours, right? Mm-hmm. And who else can do something like that much and then that short and then sort of fuck it up by adding in <laughs> another couple hours that, you know, it's churn and a little resolution at the end. But uh one other thing um I think that is in common sense that is not in universe is we get an explanation for why uh the swear word uh huff exists yeah you get that you get the mutiny you get the mutiny story yeah the mutineers uh leader was called huff right Mm -hmm. and so you say to huff with you (laughs) you. (laughs) and so uh, like we get a you know a little drib and a drab here of uh extra material but universe is is uh Good on its own, I think. Boy, that was a. Good I show. agree. Yeah. <laughs> well, do you uh, either of you listen to the audio drama I sent? Yes. I didn't. It's a I bit rarely do homework anymore. Well, you're bad. You're doing other <laughs> homework. Um. What, what What did you think of it, Mice? Because it's a bit different, it, right? Yeah, it's um. It's half hour. Yeah, it's only a half hour. And, uh, there was no, the Jim Joe that like the, it was just this guy. Yeah. Wasn't it? So, um, I, I didn't think that it, um, it, I didn't think that it was a good translation of the story. It, it was uh, barely a sketch is what I would think. Yeah. Like it just barely touched it. So introduced the concepts. Yeah. There was a generational ship mm. and uh, you know, and a mutiny. Um, it's it's funny that uh, it, you know that series, Dimension X and X minus one. Um, they use the same script for both. Uh, they're half hour adaptations of classic science fiction stories. You know, the ten years on or whatever. Um, but they would have been able to. I mean, maybe they didn't have the legal rights to. They would have been able to um, incorporate. Anything from common sense if they wanted to. 
And uh, they, I don't think they did. Oh. They, and and maybe you know, it's only half an hour, and the book is a couple hours. But um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't the best. But I I do like that it introduced the concept. I. I I don't know if I read that or listened to that after originally, but it never struck me as the best adaptation of a Heinlein thingy. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, are we done? Well, I mean, I, I, I liked how it was. There were it, it was like a lot of like a lot of so many other stories, or and I don't know if they took from this, but. You know, like in Brave New World, when Bernard Marx, he, like he's hmm. he's an accident, and he he's they they let it go, and 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 same with Hugh, like we should have killed you, but we didn't, and now look what happened. Like it's 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 that character that keeps on, and Winston in 1984, like the questioning character, like it's he's he's a proto like um, he's a standard character in in these sorts of books, definitely. And, and I don't know. I like seeing him there. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the real. Well, I guess thing we then. could say okay he, that this how this idea has been evolved. I mean, I, I were kind of picking on how he didn't really develop. Like you called it hard sci-fi, and I think it's that's definitely hard sci-fi. Fine, but it's not hard enough. I mean, there's plenty to be dissatisfied in the explanation, right? When I'm thinking a hard science fiction take on. The generation ship would be all about the ecology, right? It would, yeah, uh, but would this the is focus of it. This is the first Not one. The, <laughs> yeah, it's so, the first one. I think, and it's only two, yeah, it's it, only is two. This uh, the first one, pretty the much. First generational ship well, story. Wikipedia there, said uh, that the idea had been around. Yes, since it's mentioned twenties, but it's but there's really, no stories. But the only yeah, story is, is this is the first. So, so and it's been developed so well by other materials so other well, writers yeah i mean i didn't read aurora so i can't say um what's the environmental angle in that one um there's a lot more explaining how it how it's sustained and they all know they're on a generation ship so it's, yeah it's, but it has a mutiny, that's the right? purpose of everyone work is everyone there is to work to sustain everyone as a sort of their job to do um the thing with Aurora is it's it kind of goes deeper into the like the purpose of this, um, and here it's like just you know the human purpose to explore the frontier, right? It's this it's this mid mid twentieth century stuff, right? I talked about all this with Phil Dick's early work too. Um, this this need for a frontier, right? It's very American. Um, but what Kim Stanley Robinson does is says like, well, these were just like fascist imperialists who wanted to conquer another planet. And it's just the people sort of forgot that aspect of it. They didn't realize that they were part of a expansionist culture that was going to the stars really out of jingoism and, and kind of a fascist culture, right? They don't find that out till like they go back to Earth in, in Aurora. I, I should reread that, really. It's a big book. And then give it some more thought. Um, <laughs> How many uh, universes could you fit inside of Aurora? <laughs> we could fit Orphans of the Sky probably four times. Yeah. Hmm. But they, they go all the way back to Earth. In it. So, there is a... There's a, a and you do I, get multiple I, generations in that book, too, which is nice. 
there's a Robert J. Sawyer novel, the first one I read by him, and I I used to be the hugest Robert J. Sawyer fan. Um, and then he started writing more trilogies, and and then uh, I sort of less less and less interested as the more and more trilogies piled up. Um, but his first book, his first novel, is a terrific book. I remember it being terrific. I, I have not reread it since, but I remember it's, oh my god, so amazing. It's a generation starship story. Um, they're headed for, um, you know, Proxima Centauri or whatever. And there's lots of detail about how the, uh, they're accelerating towards it. So in this book, we've got, uh, the ship is, is coasting, right? Um, and they never actually turn the engine on and shake everybody up because it's, it's a spinning ship. They get their gravity from centrifugal force, right? Um, in, uh, in the Robert J. Sawyer book, the ship is, uh, going to accelerate all the way there and decelerate, de- accelerate halfway there and decelerate halfway back or <laughs> decelerate, uh, accelerate halfway to the place and then decelerate on the second half. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, with a constant, um, thingy. Right, constant flow, and then there's one day where they call it, you know, halfway mark or whatever, where everybody's floating around for a minute while the ship reorients itself. Um, so it's cool, right? But that's just the beginning of the story. Um, in that one, uh, it's na- the narrator is the ship's computer, which I think is really cool. Nice, right? And it's a murder mystery. <laughs> so it's like Orphans of the Sky, except it's got uh slightly different uh technology for the, the trip. Um and uh it's a murder mystery <laughs> and the narrator is the computer and the computer did it. Whoa. <laughs> so <laughs> it sounds good, right? Yeah. Um uh, it makes me want to reread it. Um but uh uh, Robert J. Sawyer is like a little bit clunky handling humans, but it, it's narrated by, by a computer, so it might be better. But yeah, that's my major criticism of Sawyer's uh, writing is basically his humans uh, are very robotic or they they hit check boxes for I am a human being <laughs> <laughs> sort of thing. Um, um. <laughs> It just struck me while Mm -hmm. you were speaking. Mm -hmm. Do you think orphans in the sky could also be um, a metaphor for us here? Of Um, course. Of course. Yeah, that's that's how I read it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we are on the starship Earth, my We are on the starship Earth. I get it. I get it. Yeah. There's been many mutinies. We've forgotten our purpose. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All Mm -hmm. we care about is good eating. All we care about is good eating. Yeah. And we don't recognize the environmental crisis going on all around us. We close, yeah. Yeah. We We, we, we give lip service to it. We close the window. We pull down the blinds and don't look. Yeah. uh, It's more like we're looking out the window of the the, uh, jet aircraft and we're looking down at those poor plebs on the ground. We say, those guys are screwed as you pull down the the privacy light or (laughs) As the captain gets fat and closes his door. That's right. And of the course problem the captain- is, I, I still don't see what our purpose is. That's not like something we just create, anyways. You, you are correct, Evan. You are correct. Um, 
but but you need but you need to know that you can create something. I mean, that's well, uh, that's why I think what's is good eating a bad purpose. Uh, let's talk about that. So, um, I want to tell you, uh, the the best adaptation of this is not universe the audio drama rather it is uh for the world is hollow and i have touched the sky y'all remember this episode of star trek mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's about a generation starship inside of a asteroid for some reason um in which the people on board the starship have forgotten and are in denial about uh the fact that they're on a generation starship yeah. And they have a religion, which is uh, worshipping the book. And the book is the instruction manuals for the universe. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if, you, um, if you disobey the high priestess uh, and you think the bad thoughts, um, you know, like uh, the world is not what it appears to be, then you get like brain pain and then right. a stroke. Um and uh i believe it uh, it's been a while since i watched it i guess october um i believe what happens is uh they they put them on the right course is that I, right? I believe they yeah. destroy the whatever was taking care of them i don't remember oh yeah yeah there's an evil kirk computer to kirk yeah <laughs> yeah yeah yes um and then the, the, giving them the free choice to do what mm-hmm. what they need to do which is yeah. uh uh, oh, but they have high technology, remember? That's one where McCoy's dying. I he's going to join them on their trip. Yeah. Wow. That, he was, talk he about was packing a lot happiness. into a half hour. That's <laughs> 50, 50 minutes, and they pack in 50 minutes. Of, but I don't uh, remember. Do they, do they, is this explained to the, the crew of the generation ship in that episode? Or is uh, it just something the, the Enterprise crew fixes and then they, hmm. they go? I don't remember. Because in uh, the Orville did this, right? <laughs> in Tell the me about the season. Orville one. You didn't see that one? I, I'm vaguely remembering plot. it, yeah. If the stars should appear. Oh, um, okay. Where oh. Uh, it's the same thing, exactly, as Universe and good, the Star good. Trek episode. I like that. Where <laughs> they have they don't know when they're on the generation ship. They have their own cult. They have their own religion, right? And anyone who disagrees is, is persecuted or whatever. But... They find out like there was something wrong with the ship that was like its canopy. Cl- it was clo- permanently closed, so they mm-hmm. open it and then they show them the stars. That sounds right. Oh, so that's right. At the end, it it opens up the door for them to have their kind of cultural revolution and and understand their purpose, I suppose. I'll read that's, the. Uh, that's why I was wondering if the ri- I don't remember the original Star Trek. I've got I've got that take here. on this. Uh, actually liberated the minds of the people in this way, giving them a new purpose? Or is it just, they're, they're now going to land on this ship in, in, in a year, and then they'll figure it out then. I'm going to read the plot summary from Wikipedia for you. Thank Federation you. Starship Enterprise encounters a ship disguised as a large asteroid, which is on a collision course with a planet Darren 5. Captain Kirk and First Officer Spock beam to the ship's interior along with Dr. McCoy, who is suffering from a fatal disease, hey, just for this episode, called xenopolycythemia, of course. 
uh, xenopolythysemia as opposed to just regular polycythemia, which is uh, what you get on Earth. You get xenopolythysemia by going to alien planets. Uh, they are attacked and subdued by a group of humanoids whose high priest, Natira, welcomes them to the world of Yanada and orders them to be taken before the Oracle. The Oracle de- demonstrates its power by administering a powerful electrical shock. As they recover, an old man approaches them and tells them that he has climbed the mountains of his world and discovered that, quote, the world is hollow and I have touched the sky. He then collapses and dies and his temple glows red. Natira enters, expresses regret at the old man's foolishness. I guess that's Hugh in an alternate version of this story, right? Um, hmm. She then gives three uh, the three permission to explore Yanada, but McCoy elects to stay with Natira. Spock notes that Yanada's writing system resembles that of the Fibrini, a race that was destroyed by a supernova 10,000 years ago. So that's a long time to be on a generation starship. The people of Yanada are evidently their descendants, but are unaware of the nature of their world. McCoy and Natira have fallen in love. Wow. All it takes is a commercial break. (laughs) (laughs) Natira asks the Oracle for permission to marry McCoy. With the or- with which the oracle grants on condition McCoy-, McCoy accept an instrument of obedience. Kirk and Spock are then discovered having seen. Uh, I guess that's like a you take a, 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 a Christian cookie and drink the blood of Christ, and now you have to obey the Pope. Right? The instrument of <laughs> obedience. Uh, where did I lost spot? Um, Natira shows him their sacred text, the Book of the People. McCoy suspects it holds the key to setting Yanada, Yanada back on course and calls the Enterprise to share the information, which causes his obedience device to be activated. Kirk and Spock transport back to Yanada, and Spock removes the device from McCoy, uh, while Kirk tries to explain the truth to Natira. When Natira's own device is activated, McCoy removes it, while Kirk and Spock again deal with the Oracle. Spock learns that the book uh, from the book, How to Enter the Control Room Behind the Oracle's Altar, where they discover the ship's navigation controls and correct Yanada's course. Spock also discovers the Fabrini archives, which contain a cure for McCoy's <laughs> condition. McCoy returns to the Enterprise, where he is successfully treated, hoping to see Natira again when Yanada arrives at its new homeworld in about a year. And of course, we don't have a sequel, so we don't have their version of Common Sense. Right. <laughs> um, which is good because we wouldn't want to see that. Um, Evan, why is the second half of the book called Common Sense? Was it you made a joke about um, pain? Oh, wasn't it a joke? I, I forgot it was called that. I thought you sent me Tom Payne for some reason. Uh, common Sense is pamphlet, or Tom Payne's pamphlet is called Common Sense. Right. Um, yeah, you got a revolution, I guess. So, um, Or is he talking about it's common sense to realize that the ship moves, which I would argue it's not common sense. Um, Ptolemy is common sense. Copernicus is not really common sense. It seems to me it, the common sense is the earth does. It does not move and things move. Right. Around it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's the, it's clunky. Ptolemy is clunky, but it fits the observations that you see. And one of those is, we don't move. And so I, I just watched this uh, uh, movie with my students. because I, I had a few extra classes called Agora. Oh, great movie. Terrific. About, movie. about uh, like that fall of the Roman Empire in Egypt and the Christianization of the empire. What's and, the name of the lady? Uh, it's uh, 
what's her name? Um, Rachel Weiss plays nah, yeah. <laughs> Hypatia of Alexandria. Hypatia, right. About, yeah, and they, <laughs> Have you seen they this movie, Marissa? No, they they I just her, wrote it down. Uh, Copernicus, but they, she, in reality, she wasn't. In, in reality, she probably didn't, well, almost certainly didn't figure she this was, out. But she was a philosopher, but, but they made really her everybody. So yeah. She really was murdered, so they are able to work that into the story where she figures out that she figures out heliocentricity um, and then is murdered before she could tell anyone except her slave knew her slave didn't write it down. Um, but that it's, yeah. And she does the experiment on the boat, right? Which mm. is something that I'm sure sailors had observed, but, and yeah, I guess that's, it's, it's, it's an it's allegory. That's not to, I guess, connect that, but like Aristotle's explanation for this stuff is all really clunky, but we don't seem to move. The earth doesn't seem to move. And it's, I guess it sort of seems round, right? You see the ship going over the horizon when we've gone away, but when it's sailing away, mm-hmm. but I, yeah. So I don't know if that's, I kind of thought about that as the reason for the title. And I also thought about, it turns the words turn it's up sort of inside, the revolution, right? Because you have that, you have the, the shift in the, the, the governance, I guess, new purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Tom Thomas Paine's pamphlet, right? He yeah. says he calls it common sense, um, but it isn't the common common sentiment at a certain point. It becomes the common sentiment at a certain point, right? But yeah, uh, it's kind of it's kind of a trick we do on ourselves, right? So now, if you ask kids today who've all been to school, you say. Um, where on the globe do you live? And they might be able to point to uh, on the globe that they have in their classroom where they live. They all know that the earth is round, right? <laughs> and they all know, they're all being taught that the earth orbits the sun, right? Mm-hmm. So that to them is common sense. And then there's the, you know, the flat earthers who are kind of a joke and uh, they're having fun. But there, there are also, you know, some people who are just contrary. Um, but it, yeah, it wasn't a new idea uh, that the Earth was round or anything like that. But I think, I think Heinlein's having it both ways uh, by saying, by calling it common sense, because he is a revolutionary guy. He loves revol- the American Revolution, right? Um, yeah, but he also what Moon is the first mission. So you have to mention yeah, that because yeah, you have yeah. a, it's totally, some parallels, perhaps. It, you definitely. Um, but we've got this, this phrase is, this is a, de- this is a, an explanation for why the, uh, the universe is the universe of the ship and nothing else. That's common sense. But then, uh, arguing that it, something that is extraordinary is not common sense. Uh, it's, I think it's like an attack on the phrase. You see what I mean? It's like, it's to say, oh, it's just common sense. Um, what, what it means is you haven't actually thought about it. You haven't actually looked at the evidence. You're actually just sort of going yeah. along with mm-hmm. the, what mm-hmm. the common perception is. And, you know, my thing is, uh, wh- whoever, whoever is spending the most money in the room to say the most, uh, speech is the one providing the common, the common speech. And, you know, this is propaganda and advertising. Um, we, Evan, you were talking about uh, your bougie colleagues ordering from Uber Eats, 
right? Oh, yeah. I, I'm like, you know, there's lots of ads for Uber Eats. That's why they're ordering from Uber Eats. Well, yeah. specifically them ordering it on a rainy day and then complaining that it didn't arrive on time. That was why I accused them of being bougie. Nah. But of course, ordering from Uber Eats is bad enough. But then complaining on a rainy day—it's—it's it's that it's it, pretty bad. But the reason Uber Eats is being used is because they advertise it, not because this idea of delivery or the idea of of ordering your food and uh, going and picking it up is is a new concept. It's it's it, there's a hell of a lot of advertising for Uber Eats. I know this because I've seen it, and I do, I almost see it, don't see any ads at all. Right, I, I've successfully blocked out almost all ads from my life, and I'm like, I know what Uber Eats is. That that tells you something. Did here mm-hmm. on cell phone. So, um, I think we explained common sense. Uh, yeah, but, I, I, but there's things. No, there like even in Thomas Paine, like he says somewhere, like, oh, it's common sense that an island shouldn't rule a continent. Well. Not mm. if you lived in America for most of the 18th century. It's mm. like mm-hmm. one was obviously had all the armies and the navy and all the political power. I, I just, as much as I love Tom Paine, it's like I agree that what he's partially what he's doing is saying like, oh, if you don't agree with me, you're an idiot. Yes, by yes. calling it that, right? And and it's it's a little, it does it, does, it carries a lot of weight of argument. Thomas His Payne, arguments are good in the book. Thomas Paine is an interesting character he because through with evidence. He's he he hated England before he left England, right? He was against. He was the most. That's the reason he left. Is he was a shit disturber, um, and then once he's exported, <laughs> he's a shit disturber. Still, he won't give up. He he's got his hobby horse. I must bring down the British Empire at all costs for whatever reason. He made an enemy and he, he, he worked on his argument. And then it just so happens that circumstances are right that, you know, this pamphleteer becomes, uh, a historical figure in the, in the thing because he's writing these, these essays that are, he's, he's marshalling whatever arguments are available. And yeah, it but, is basically an argument is you're stupid if you don't agree with me. It's just common sense because, but you know, when, you know who, who brought him to America, right? I don't remember who tell me. It was it was Ben Franklin. Ben oh, was Franklin it? Him yeah, that makes sense. And said you should come to America. Right. And he's like, okay, I guess I'll come to America. Which, I mean, it's not true. But in my sometimes I have, I have a little bit of headcanon about this. Like if, if someone should write a book about this, Ben Franklin is a time traveler because he's <laughs> he's got he's got that sort of. Like sort of comes out of nowhere. I mean, he's, he does have a documented history in Boston, yeah. but it's you can just sort of ignore that and say he just sort of shows up in Philly, right, and starts doing all this printing and all that, and then he happens to be in the right place at the right time, and he's like, oh, this guy Tom Paine, we got to bring him to America <laughs> to make the American Revolution work out. Like it's like if you take him out, it's like the American Revolution doesn't happen, right? It probably would have happened later. Is what I would yeah, but argue. putting him there, like if you imagine a story of him as a time traveler, it works so well. You wouldn't have to change. You, know, you wouldn't have to fictionalize too much in his life because mm-hmm. he he knows where to. It seems he knows where to be at the right time. And I think the bringing Tom Payne over is mm-hmm. like crucial to this mm-hmm. this story. 
Because, yeah. Because Tom Paine, you know, certainly is crucial in the Declaration of Independence. Because right? mm-hmm. the Declaration of Independence would not have happened that year had it not been for Tom Paine. Building up popular support for the idea. Yeah. It would have our, been a colonial rebellion. He's our that Hugh. may have had a negotiated <laughs> peace at some point. But There's a historical fiction to be written, Evan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe someone already has, but um, I don't know. Neil Stevenson even throws Ben Franklin into the broke cycle, but only in like that first scene when he's a young man in in Boston. But he said he was a real dynamo, that guy. Yeah, uh, I'm. 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 I hope you got lots more Ben Franklin because I I got three more episodes, good. which I'll do before I leave for America. Then I'm gonna probably take a break. I'm just I'll be here for that one episode. What are they coming up? Sea Wolf or something? But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm gonna kind of check out for most of the summer. You gotta write Reboot. that Star Trek book. People are demanding. Yeah, maybe I'll work a little bit on that. <laughs> That's right. You're the only one demanding that. <laughs> no, 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 no. back. I, I want to see it too. Uh, there are others. Um, uh, I think it needs to be filled with uh, a lot of. Well, they um, keep producing more new Star Trek content, and yeah, but be no, you just cut it off after after um, Enterprise Voyager. <laughs> Don't even go to Enterprise. No, Enterprise is good stuff. Enterprise it has great, some good stuff, stuff, but I guess it's only four seasons. But um, yeah, um, just cut it off. There's good stuff. There's some stuff in Discovery. It's just the fact that it's so sexless. That's what <laughs> disturbs me about. Well, the sexless? HR. Yeah, yeah. It's they have sex. They just don't show it. No, they have. They have some sexual politics, I guess. They have no gender politics, I want to say. I don't want to say even sexual politics. They have gender politics, which are relevant to talk about in a project like this. But it's significant to me that the sex is just out of it. It's like, uh, what's that woman's name? The the Right Good podcast. Oh, um, I know who you're talking about. I've forgotten her name. But yeah, she's sweet. Yeah. She wrote that essay. I'm really embarrassed. I don't remember her name. Raquel. Raquel. That's right. Benedict. Yeah. Benedict. Raquel S. Yeah. Benedict. There you go. She wrote the <laughs> that like everyone's beautiful, no one's fucking essay about the Marvel. But I think she's talking about movies in general now. Mm. Oh. Um, so, which is true, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's like no sex in the MCU, but everyone's kind of hot. I never thought about it, but yeah, you're right. Well, uh, but that's kind of true of all media now, right? Yeah. Like you, you just watch almost like I guess on Netflix there's that whole sex section, which for some reason I don't know. Netflix is always trying to get me to watch these. I must be watching (laughs) things, and they keep it's in the algorithm of my Netflix account. But but in like you know, I guess in film it's a real problem. I guess in streaming sort of there's always the niche, right? For this kind of stuff. But if like main like movie theater stuff, never sex anymore. Romantic comedies, romance movies, they they ever are they ever released in theaters anymore? Uh I, I think movies are pretty much done except for blockbusters, right? As yeah. Theater and movies. and they're all sexless. Like yeah. Star Wars, which I've stopped watching years ago, but every time I go to it I'm just frustrated at the lack of sex. <laughs> Well, I always went to Star Wars for sex. You know, I, I watched I watched about fifteen minutes of Obi Wan, and like he's got all this time in his hand. He's on this this desert island, desert planet. Why isn't he? he why isn't he sleeping with sand people, women, or something? <laughs> 
I think sand he's abandoned people his Jedi reproduced ways. by budding. <laughs> he's abandoned his Jedi ways. So why not? Why why not pick up a I girlfriend? <laughs> I don't buy it. Yeah, the, <laughs> the Jedi never never getting laid. Oh, that rule! That Lucas rule. And I think that is right. That's in the prequels. Jedi can't get laid. I don't is it? <laughs> George Lucas for this lack of sex in movies now. Yeah. Because um, oh, the Jedi boring. That, there's definitely, uh, you know, I, in the 90s, I would pick up like all these movies, you know, direct to video basically or, you know, very limited release. They all have sex, right? Yeah. So it'd oh, be like, yeah. like I was thinking there, there's one, um, uh, if you watched it today, it'd be like, hey, that's weird. That's random. Um, uh, Lethal Weapon, right? Lethal Weapon is a buddy cop movie. Um, and we find out, uh, uh, Martin Riggs, wh- whatever, uh, the Australian actor's name is, um, his girlfriend died before the, uh, the show, you know, before the first episode or before the movie or whatever. And so he's sad, but that doesn't prevent there being a love scene <laughs> in the yeah. movie later on. Um, and like, oh, this hey, is this is a random sex morning, scene where you get to right? random sex scene where you see here. Mel Gibson's ass, right? It's like, okay, why why is that in there? It's it's because that's what movies are. It's a heightened experience of all things, right? It's a mm-hmm. it's a sample of life. <laughs> sort I haven't of even noticed this no sex thing that's going on. It is now very I'm, common now. It's now. spinning in my head. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's not a Heinlein problem, except in this book. Yeah, no, no. Normally, he's uh, no nudists here. That's, yeah. <laughs> should have been nudists. Uh, I don't know. Okay. So, w- one of the things you see depicted in all of the, uh, they're practically nude. They're they're all wearing like bathing suits, right? And they're mm-hmm. all guys. Um, I don't think anybody's not wearing a bathing suit. Uh, uh, that that's because they recycled their clothes. I think that that has to be it, right? That they recycled their clothes because there's there's no product. Mm-hmm. There's they have almost nothing. They have no art other than a few books, and they think of those as sacred texts, right? Um, and I was just thinking, also, like, they must have acid-free paper. Otherwise, those books would have crumbled to dust, you know, mm-hmm. f- over 500 years, right? That's a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of time for bindings to break. <laughs> There's a surprising lack of computers in this. Well, I, I that's think what we need. We need this scene with, cool. the, with the with the scribes, right? Copying. <laughs> well, they had the scribes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they could have been pulling people around and scribing at once. There, the, I think I thought the no moving parts in the in the computer was actually really advanced. Um, yeah, there was a yeah. computer, but but it was hit like so hidden. Yes, and it was not in charge of things. It was just mm-hmm. uh, just mm-hmm. for operating the the ship. Um, yeah, just for that. But um, the the fact that the designers had said, you know, the way you control the ship is you put your hand over a sensor, right? So it's it's basically um, the way I was envisioning it. It's it's all um, uh, fiber optic, mm-hmm. right? So you put your hand over a sensor, and that it says, okay, the light is blocked. Therefore, that means on instead of pressing a button with a little spring, right? But even the deck plates must be like there must be like bowl shaped, uh, pat, you know, bowl shaped, uh, 
tunnels or ruts in all the hallways, don't you think? From people walking over it for mm-hmm. hundreds of generations. <sighs> yeah. And the ship was designed to last a long time, but it was not designed to last as long as they had been on it. They missed their, their rendezvous. So, um, I could totally imagine visualizing the things that were there that they're not talking about, but I, I did feel like it would have been good to see inside of that farm that they talk about, but I don't remember them ever actually talking about light, right? They talk about, uh, light and heat. For the conver- the converter doing it, but uh, how are the- all these decks lit? Mm-hmm, they They're do. just lit, right? But yeah. nobody went into the ceiling and started taking the light bulbs out or anything like that, and the fluorescent tubes or anything like that. So, um, it- you could explore all that. Maybe that's what Aurora does. I have a feeling there's a lot more meetings in Aurora, a lot more Soviets. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of talking with computers. I there you go. Oh, see, there they are. So, um, yeah. But so my candidate likes his meetings, like Ministry yes, for does. the Future. Lots of meetings in Ministry for the Future. I'm Lots of a, meetings in the Mars. Guy. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I makes like that the stuff. Mars books three books long that are giant chunky novels. So good though. <sighs> Better you than me, Evan. Uh, I, I, a thousand pages is too much. Too hmm. many meetings. Uh, <laughs> me too. <laughs> You're like an ant, Evan. You enjoy your long meetings. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's the world seems. I like ideas. So me too. If you mm-hmm. can. So people sitting around talking about ideas. That's great. Like there's stuff in Red Mars where on the they're on, on the way to Mars and they're talking about like what kind of world should we be? Like and it's like 50 pages of people just talking about like. Should That's we be cool. a colony of Earth? Should we be our own thing? What should be our values? We should really think this out before we land, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's relevant, right? I, that's only I mean, f- like Zizek talks about this. I don't know if he, I, yeah. I think it was in that book we didn't do, um, but he often complains about like anarchists always wanting meetings. Yes, <laughs> like no, I just want the bureaucrats to do it for me. Like, and, and I, I'm sympathetic to that to a degree, right? Like some of the radical democracy people like the anarchists like oh people should be engaged like in workplaces we'll have workers councils and stuff and zizek mm-hmm. sort of like says i don't want to go to extra meetings i just want to do my <laughs> job and go home right i just don't want as much work maybe right yeah. I, I don't want to have to worry about debt or medical bills so that's why i want socialism i don't want you to replace my work with now that i have to like go to all these meetings to mm-hmm. decide things mm-hmm. but I don't know. I think there's pleasure to be had in working out your ideas and problems and stuff. I, I think there's value in that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me. It's it's why I like going to university, I guess. Yeah, but that's like different. People sit around and and talking about things. Yeah, and but at the a lot why of, I don't like my current job because you sit around and talk about things and no one really plays with you. It's sad. Yeah, that's my <laughs> Well, yeah, the, there's a big difference, they don't though. Play with be, me. Yeah, well, yeah, that's it's probably too big of a class, and they're too disconnected. A lot of students are just literally asleep. No, I'm talking about my coworkers here. Oh, my okay. I, I see. They're, they're my students. I'm talking about my my coworkers. They don't. Um, 
They're not. I don't, I don't think they're they engaged. To, their classes. Yeah, they? they complained about me a couple times. <laughs> hey, they say it nicely. They say like, "Oh, you 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 know so much more about this. We just can't add." And it's like, "No, I'm trying to get you to like feed me with your insight. <laughs> I'm not trying to like." Are they reading books, Evan? I'm not the, trying to pretend to be the smartest person in the room. I'm trying to. I'm actually pretty dumb, and I want you to like correct me. Yeah. That's but what our job is, Misa. Help us. Uh, okay. I'll write an essay on it. Just, send it over. Make me feel smarter all the time. I yeah. That's, that's I think right. I, I, I think comparison. I got everything. I, I had forgotten about that. Uh, I like meetings. I'm not, I don't have a problem with meetings. That's the conclusion. Well, you should because uh, a lot of meetings are – I have a – complaint about something that's irrelevant to this meeting i think you're a mean person oh, because of what we said in the last meeting and you didn't take the minutes properly like there's a lot but of those that. aren't the meetings in in red mars the meetings in red mars are all like but you said that was 50 stuff. pages right how big is that's like a 600 page book right yeah but it's it's spread out but how come it can't but be condensed down to the size of this book or even half because of there's this a, book because there's like a dozen major characters. That's the problem. Points of view. We got how many major characters in this book? Like four, right? Maybe not even one. (laughs) (laughs) They condensed one, two characters into one by having them graft headed onto each other. (laughs) 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 The guy can be two characters in one. That tells you why it's only two and a half hours or whatever it is. Um, it, it is astonishing. Whenever you watch a Star Trek episode or even Doctor Who episode, they go to some planet, right? And these guy, this guy you just met represents the whole planet. <laughs> and then there's like another guy in the background who brings him a cup of coffee or something. And that means that there's thousands of more people out in the city that you never get to meet. Um, and that's enough. We don't need all this character interaction stuff. We don't need all these people to get their complaints in. The purpose of those people, those characters is to deliver the ideas. And I think, you know, we don't really need to have more Misa of, of uh, wife abuse than just saying he knocked his, her tooth out. No, I guess not. Right. Cause I don't want to see more of that. Mm-hmm. You don't want to see more of that, but we need to know that these guys are jerks. Yeah. Uh, uh yeah. So, um, I had forgotten about that Orville episode. Um, I, I, when I was watching the Orville originally, I didn't ever take notes, but it makes, uh, I think maybe I did, but I think there are a lot of episodes are, that are just their version of, of a next generation episode or a yeah. previous one. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that is not a bad thing at all. Right. The, no. o- the only one that I, I remember from them that is uh novel was the social media planet. And I thought that that was a very, very solid episode because it was completely modern in a certain sense. And I'm looking forward to the latest. Well, the season. stuff at the end of the second season, I, I think, was pretty novel, too. What was with happening the, then? With the, it was a time loop thing. And, I, you know, time loops aren't new, but I think the way they handled it was pretty good. Okay. The the end of the second season had the whole... Where there was like that Kalon invasion and then there was the time... Yeah, thing. I remember the Kalon invasion. There was like invasion. a arc. There was an arc. Um, standalone's good though. 
Who who's watching? Yeah, the I started watching the new New Orleans. Strange season. new. How did you how? The new Strange Orville new worlds. Oh, oh yeah, no. How are you watching that? It's it's, not, I thought uh, it wasn't out yet. It's out. It just started. Disney right? Plus International. It just started. Oh, okay. Oh, it just started. Yeah. It like it's June. got two episodes in. Yeah. And they're pretty long. I think the. Well, actually, I don't. I don't. Did we ever see a robot suicide in Star Trek? Because that's in the first episode of third season of Orville. Isaac mm. kills himself. Okay. No, no we haven't. So. We saw Q kill himself and in Voyager. Data's daughter died, but that was yeah. not a yeah, kill herself. Yeah, but she just died. Yeah, Isaac kills himself because no one wants to work with Kalen. <laughs> <laughs> and he realizes, like, it would be more rational just to die because it would make the crew more efficient. Hmm. But he kills himself. He's a depressed robot. We have seen that. Oh, and then, uh, oh, and then uh, the doctor, whatever, Cisco's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pe- Penny or something? That yeah, right. tries to psychoanalyze Isaac. That's, that's some good stuff. Isn't and she, then there wait, was wasn't a, she dating Isaac at one point? I can't remember. Yeah, she tried to date Isaac. That's why she's the one who's kind of right. trying to save his life. He gets See, there's, revived. There's your sex in. <laughs> yeah, the world has sex. It's great. Like the the first scene mm-hmm. is, is sex. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty. He funny. Walks in on her on his husband. Rob Lowe as Blue Alien. Rob Lowe, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, the second episode is is rehash stuff where some alien takes over people and transforms their DNA. I I don't think there's I don't think there's any doubt that it's a it's a good show so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what about yep. this new uh, Strange New Worlds? I watched the first episode of that, and I was like. It, it took you 20 minutes to get to the planet. And then I think it was three times in the episode we had to have a flash forward to how Pike's a mummy or something. He's in a wheelchair and he can't talk or he can only uh-huh. beep now. <laughs> like, and he's like, he's, he's brave because he's gonna, he's gonna continue on even though we, he knows that he's gonna be a beeper later. It's like, I don't need to be told this three times. I think they only mentioned it one, you know, one, one time would have been enough. But it's like a promise. Like later on, he's going to be a guy in a wheelchair who's just beeping. Like, why? Why, why do I need to know about this three times? That's just <laughs> bad writing. And I don't. I don't remember what the plot was. I, I, I think it was science fictiony, but it was. Uh, it took them a long time to get to the planet. Uh, I don't remember, but I, I like Strange New Worlds better than any of the other new Star Treks. So. <laughs> it's not saying a lot, though, right? <laughs> I didn't want to, I asked, I was asking myself if you had ever watched Prodigy years ago, not years ago, when I was show noting an old show and you said you were going to try it. Did you ever try the Prodigy? No, not yet. Not yet. Okay. But I still want to. All right. Uh, did you ever watch that one, Evan? The animated one? one with Janeway called Star Trek Prodigy. I watched for one episode of it. I, I watched one episode. It's kind of young adult, I think, that show. Okay. Okay. Um, I was I was saying it was like Teletubby I mean, Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it. So. Yeah, I, I I didn't feel the desire to watch more. I, I like Lower Decks. You have uh, you have a greater tolerance for. There's some sex in Lower Decks. Very minimal <laughs> jokes. 
I don't. I was trying to. I think when I was well, the Orville doesn't have jokes either. Like the Orville, I, I'm glad. Right? I'm glad it's transitioning into a regular Star Trek. There's almost no jokes now. That's good. Really? I mean, just the jokes there are. Just like, like if I'm at work and I make a stupid joke and no yes. one laughs. Yes, those kind of jokes. Yeah, they're bridge Which, jokes. Yeah, they're basically they're down to the level of, of the original Star Trek where. At the end of the episode, we're back on the bridge. We see Kirk, Spock, and McCoy standing around, and Kirk says something, turns to McCoy, McCoy smiles, and then uh, Spock looks insulted. And, and it is a boom, doo, doo. <laughs> And that's like the whole co- comic relief for the whole episode. That's, that's all I need. I don't need more than that. I just need that reset button so that we can have a, a new star, a science fiction idea in the next episode. That's what I- I'm looking for a little button. Very nice. <laughs> so you can see some old Heinlein story rehashed and uh, done slightly differently. So I can be reminded of, hey, that's good science fiction. But you watched uh, episodes two and three. Is that right, Evan? Of uh, Strange New Worlds? I didn't watch any of Strange New Worlds oh, yet. Oh, I thought you had. What about you, Misa? Yep, I was only I've watching the Orville. What 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 are you thinking? Second episode and third episode. I I I um. They're, we're back to episodic, and you know they're they're trying. That's all. <laughs> at least at least. Well, that's good. I guess. <laughs> like they're not just throwing everything out like with Picard, where they just like just trampled it, and you know, total disregard for everything. Yeah. That was supposed to be Star Trek. At least they're you know. They're they're considering a history, and trying to be kind of within it. So. Well, one of the things I like to point out about the original Star Trek is they don't have a canon, right? So every time there's an episode where they need to solve a plot problem, they just whip out a new skill that Spock has. That's all they do, right? So all the things that we think of Vulcans of having these amazing, you know, inner eyelids and you know, ponfars and all of this shit. It was just to solve plot problems in the original show. It was not to do lore. And so mm-hmm. now they're saddled with, you know, endless lore. And that's all they can think about. So, like, I watched that first Star Trek Brave New Worlds episode. And I was thinking, why is Spock's girlfriend in this? Mm-hmm. And the answer was because Spock had a girlfriend. We find that mm-hmm. out in a later episode. That ain't a reason to do an episode. That is not science fiction. That's just lore filling in the, the holes. And how many wait brothers till you get, and wait sisters? Wait till you get an that? episode where like Captain Pike meets young Picard and introduces him to Earl Grey tea. <laughs> That's what I'm <laughs> that saying. Is, it's coming. It's coming. It's stupid. We don't need the Earl like Earl Grey tea was the comic relief in the you know or you know oh a nice hot cup of piping Earl Grey tea and then what do they do in in uh, Picard and say, oh yeah, people like that Earl Grey tea. Here's here's a plot point in the episode. Earl Grey, decaf. Oh, everybody starts <laughs> dancing around saying, wow, the Star Trek's back. <laughs> like, no. Yeah. That's not Star Trek. That's just a guy who's old who's been getting <laughs> fed a line that says... Yeah, exactly. It's just right? words. Yes. And so, we need more stuff thrown into the converter. <laughs> <laughs> we need to rebel against the uh, uh, masterminds of the ship who are driving us off course. Mm. 
Uh, so yeah, what do you guys think? I, I'll let it boil in the background for a while. What do you think about uh, that Larry Niven book, uh, The Integral Trees? Let me dig out some stuff, some reviews or something. How long is it? Uh, I think it's, I, I'm not Evan. I can't do a thousand. No, pages. it's not. It's not. It's long, but it's not that long. Uh, let's see, it says 240 pages. Wow, slim volume. Oh, <laughs> okay. Um. I'll just read, uh, 1984 science fiction novel, first published in Analog in 1983, uh, heavily influenced by a gas setting, uh, by the ga- the setting, a gas torus, a ring around the n- a neutron star, uh, sequel, Smoke Ring was published in 87, published, uh, oh, nominated for a Nebula and, uh, Hugo. Um, and, uh, I remember not liking the characters very much, but being impressed by the uh, ideas. So there's that. And there was there was another one I mentioned. Um, oh, the Robert J. Sawyer one. Uh, it's called Golden Fleece. Uh, this was probably similar period. There it is. Not, oh, 1999. Wow. No Wikipedia entry for it. Golden. There is an audiobook for it, though. Um, oh, and by the way, uh, I think um, Robert J. Sawyer was heavily influenced by Heinlein. I think it's pretty obvious. Um, he has a little trilogy called the Quintaglio Ascension or whatever. I only read the first... Well, maybe I read two of them. Um it's it's basically Misa, get this. It's miniature dinosaurs on a on a uh, a moon of a Jupiter like planet uh who are tidally locked. So they never see their, their Jupiter like planet. Um mm-hmm. or Jupiter like yeah. They they only see their side of the space, right? And uh the main character is is Galileo. Except he's a he's a he's a tiny ter not pterodactyl, tiny uh uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex. You had me at dinosaur, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's pretty easy. So, pretty easy. so the the series that sounds really fun. Yeah, it was it was good. Um, uh, a little, you know, these characters are stiff. Um, at least in this case, they're you know, <laughs> they're dinosaurs. But um, <laughs> and I, you know, now that I think about it, I think that they may have been from Earth, and that they may have been on a generation starship, um, <laughs> which is surprising. <laughs> There's a Voyager episode. For had, you. Actually, that's right. There is that Voyager episode. Uh, maybe, maybe I um, I tweeted about that. I remember tweeting about that Voyager episode as being a ripoff of a Robert J. Sawyer. <laughs> See, there you go. <laughs> uh, I think I remember seeing that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, my threads on regular Star Trek are quite long, but I think that's probably the main takeaway from Jay Sawyer. Let's see. Uh, Sawyer, uh, audiobook. Let's see how long this thing is. Uh, it is seven hours, 43 minutes. Here's the summary. Publisher summary. Aboard the Argo. Uh, colonization ship bound for Edis Sefi 4. People are very close. There's no other choice. So when Aaron Rossman's ex-wife dies in what seems to be a bizarre accident, everyone offers their sympathy. 
politely keeping their suspicions of suicide to themselves. But Aaron cannot simply accept her death. He must know the truth. Was it an accident, or did she commit suicide? When Aaron discovers the truth behind her death, he is faced with a terrible secret, a secret that could cost him his life. Um, so I remember this book being uh, pretty amazing. I'm like, I need more of that. It's got four ratings, and it's got four and a half out of five. Mm. Uh, somebody says this is a negative rating. After reading this book, I can't, I can honestly say I prefer Sawyer's later work there. They are terrific. This book was okay. Uh, another one says there's better Sawyer out there. Not nearly as good as his later works. Normally I love Sawyer, but I hated Golden Fleece. Meh. Definitely early Sawyer. Another good job, Robert. Oh, there's actually quite a few reviews. Uh, malevolent AI, a new panel, and aliens. What more could you want? Says somebody. So there's that. Well, maybe <laughs> I'm less excited about it than I used to be, based on these reviews. But it's mm. it's in my mind. Oh, what I what I really like is after I find out that the robot, uh, the AI, did it, and he's the narrator, which I think is great. Um, we don't know why uh, why it did it. And so there's like a, a second mystery. That with, sounds cool. It actually. is cool. That sounds really cool. So there's that. Okay. Um, let me look at the schedule and see what else we got here. Okay. Long Tomorrow by Lee Brackett. Um, Evan says he's out until we hit, uh, what was it? Seawolf? Let me see. No, I'll do The Shining. Okay. Oh, oh you're on The Shining, too. To open up the I don't know. schedule. I'll send you the link. Yeah, um, I'll do The Shining, The Seawolf. Yeah, then, I, I mean, maybe. Keep in touch. All right. I'll, <laughs> Keep in I'll, touch. I'll bring my microphone to America. Do it. I, I'm just not bringing my computer. I can borrow one, though. Oh, and um, um, I, I convinced uh, Cora. She's she'll do it on uh, Michael Crichton early book called uh, Binary, which is uh, early techno thriller. Very short, I think it's like four hours. Oh, when is uh... that's oh seven oh three? I, I, I just think, opened. I just opened this thing. Up. I think eventually Michael Crichton's going to be um, a much uh, appreciated because he was much appreciated while he was alive. But then people got mad at him because he was uh, wrote a book about climate change. And uh, so, sorry, what's that one about? Uh, so it's a techno thriller um, mm-hmm. uh, about uh, a guy who's trying to kill the Republicans, <laughs> and mm-hmm. he mixes the on the cover. Um, it usually shows two cylinders of gas. Um, and they mi- you mix the two gases together and that creates a toxin. So it, either one of them separately is not toxic. But, um, what's cool about this book is, uh, he's, you can tell, I, I think I read it. Um, you can tell that he's doing some writer stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, um, it's called binary and there's a main character who's the good guy and a main character who's the bad guy. And together they are the book, right? Combining them together, it makes oh, a story. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, so it's like a you know a writerly trick. Uh, but what's cool is this is very early. This is like 1972 or something like that. Um, and Michael Crichton is he is a dynamo of thinking in writing. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and we don't normally think about him as like this great, great writer, but he actually is responsible for a lot of really cool books. And and if you start looking at like if you go to IMDb and you type in Michael Crichton, it's an endless list of movies. And he actually directed the TV movie of this. That was his first direction uh of it. And it's like a 1974 TV movie or something like that. Um which I have. Um so it's a very short book, very early Michael Crichton, and then you know, we've done other Michael Crichton, so I think he's uh uh I, I like I, I think not everything of his works like I remember Sphere not being great. Um, oh yeah. Uh, but I I kind of re- want to revisit Congo because I think I only saw the movie on that one. And Evan, I think isn't Congo a white ape movie? Like uh, like yeah, it's about uh. I may have looked at the book when I was like in high school. It was a it was a huge after the you know, movie came out. Yeah, everything Michael Crichton was huge in I want to say the late eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so. You know, he was writing up storms. He 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 had a time travel book that got turned into a movie. But his early stuff is sort of forgotten. There's Westworld, but he he's also yeah. a really good movie director. Like um that one with Sean Connery and um uh Kiefer Sutherland's dad, Donald Sutherland. Such a good movie. Um what's it called? Great Train Robbery. So good. Oh. Have you seen that? No, I don't think so. So good, Misa. Really? Oh, it's so funny. I got already these movies to put down. Yeah, what was the the one you wrote down earlier? Agora. Okay, so that is a beautiful movie. Like, Mm -hmm. it's set in Egypt. It's beautiful to look at. It's it's got this, uh, you know, beautiful actress playing, you know, a scientist, basically, philosopher, natural scientist. And it's got, like, uh, uh, got Oscar religious... Isaac in it too. Is right? he is? I, I didn't that. remember that. He um, plays the, the religious fundamentalist. <laughs> no, he plays the the student who later becomes like the governor, the prefect, or something. Uh, okay, the one who has to betray her uh, for his own political life. It's uh, a it's Arrest. a beautiful his name beautiful is, movie. He's a real person, by the way. Yes, I looked all that up. My like, so that movie I'm is gonna, should have really been well. huge. It was just Real, such I'm a beautiful watch it movie. Screwed over so by good. the. Um, I'm gonna watch and so the and great trade. A lot is about how. Yes. Go for it, Evan. Going around them is becoming Christian. Yes. And you know they're probably just converting for political reasons, right? But then they have like the book. Right. Cool. Even if it like when the Christians start saying like, oh, Hypatia's, well, that's what they say. They, they, this woman's a witch mm. and you should denounce her. Let us like basically kill her. And he's like, uh, it's either that or like I get fucked. So he doesn't. Yeah. Beautiful. Something beautiful like that. Movie. Like it should have been, it should have been a bigger hit. I, I think it was probably not a hit at all, but when it came out, I was like, I was telling everybody about this great movie mm-hmm. and it was not, um, I don't even remember. Was there a sex scene in it? I don't think there is. <laughs> no, they totally de-sex Hypatia, which is probably right. She never married, right? Yeah. I mean, it's so, not really important to the story, did. but, uh, you know, it, 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 that's what's so ast- uh, astonishing about the movie is that it's basically <laughs> a biopic, you know, sort of fictionalized. 
um, that is really good with a great actress doing a great job and a great script. Uh, a pretty good script, I remember. And just a beautiful mm-hmm. looking film. Yeah. Um, and you like spending time in that, you know, in that weird old place that nobody films, you know, stories set in. Mm, it's I'm, not, I'm excited. It's medieval. You're, uh, mi- no, not medieval. It's, uh, it's like fourth century, fifth century, fifth yeah, century, I guess. Right, right. dark age, dark ages. Yeah, dark ages. Right. It's like wow. the, no, the Roman Empire is still there, but yeah, it's like beginning barely. To fall. You see yeah. the trees, you see it beginning to fall apart. But it's not, it's not a period of you know how many stories have we got set during the time of Christ? You know, it's just so many. Mm-hmm. But we don't see Egypt in that period, and that's that's the Library of Alexandria period in a certain sense yeah. too, right? So well, the, no, the, Alexa- the Library of Alexandria was already destroyed. But yeah, this was but the, it's the same the successor, sort of, and yeah. then also gets destroyed by the Christians. Yeah, that, which <laughs> it appears in the in the film, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so it's yeah, it's, it's, I think they even mention like, yeah. this is what we have left after the Library of Alexandria was destroyed, and then yeah, the and Christians then, destroyed. But we didn't left. finish it. Yeah, let's finish the job. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of a it's a, a kind of a downer movie on the other end, but um, really nice to see. Okay. Uh, I'd like to see way more movies like that. Yeah, that's that's cool. There's like a love triangle and no sex. I don't remember the love triangle. I just remember all, it being the love Oscar being science. Isaac, <laughs> Oscar Isaac's character loves her. Uh, this is a new movie. It's, how old is this movie? It's 10 years 10 ago years. at least, yeah. right? Probably. Oh, really? Okay. What's it called? And the slave loves uh, her and Agora. the slave becomes... It's a terrible uh, title, too. Because Agora means marketplace. And that doesn't... I mean, a marketplace of ideas? It doesn't really... It doesn't really fit, does it? It's the Agora is where two thousand nine wow. scenes take place. Two thousand nine. Okay. Oh, it's, it's uh, it says English language Spanish historical. So it was a Spanish movie made by Spanish, huh? Like a Spanish production company. Yeah, but yeah, that's cool. There's a love triangle and no sex. That's that's well done that way. But it's not. It's not like the it's not about modern sexless it it. movies. Seven point right. one on IMDb, which is Excellent. legit. Um, because <laughs> like when she figures out heliocentricity, that's like that's basically like a sex scene. It's like <laughs> <laughs> it's like it, it's, it's kicking off the same neurons or the same kind of chemicals uh, in the brain. Yeah, that what's the. Uh, um, sense of wonder is uh, orgasm. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> funny. There's a there's a movie from 2013 that's uh, highly rated as well that I have not seen called uh, The Physician. It, it popped up as a um, as a related film. I don't know what that means, but it looks like uh, it says in 11th century Persia, a surgeon's apprentice disguises himself as a Jew to study at a school that did. Does not admit Christians. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I, I I I like historical movies. Yeah, that, that sounds good. Yeah. Like Avicenna was like into all into. He would have been that century too. He was all into the medicine stuff. He wrote a bunch of medicine stuff. I like it. Okay. Um. Um. I I think I I, I would like to do Seawolf. Let's do it. Uh, and join the Seawolf Party. I'd like to join the Seawolf Party. Um, <laughs> Where is Will Ben? Wasn't Will the original uh, Will, one? Will? Seawolf? He's I, off the radar. I, I, I don't. Did somebody? I, 
I don't know what's going on there, but I, I hit comma and then suddenly their names are added. I don't know. I think I might un whatever. Um, were there names on there before? I was just going to go add oh, Misa. I just then... remember Will's the one who wanted to so, uh, originally do the Seawolf. Okay. When was his last tweet? Last um, tweet was like back in May. He said, uh, I just got a message from him. He said he was on vacation with his parents. So um, uh, I'm just going to add Misa here and then I'll read what he wrote. Well, it's got a bunch of Disney stuff on his feed. Donald Duck, Scrooge McDuck. Oh, he's a comics guy. Um, yeah. I, he said, uh, I, I sent him the links to Orphans of the Sky in case he wanted to join. He said, I've been on vacation with my parents. Thanks for thinking of me. And I said, I'm thinking about you a lot. Was thinking about what you would have been thinking about during this book. <laughs> because uh, I, I, I was, I was thinking a lot about what uh, Will would have thought of this book. Maybe he can report back. If yeah, well, it's a short listen. If he only just does universe, that's enough. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, I would have liked to do the other one, but I think I have a, a rehearsal for uh, an, a a show on for that binary. Sunday. Yeah, binary. I don't mm. think I can make mm-hmm. it. I'm definitely out for binary. All right, no worries. But I'd like to read that's... it if you could send it yeah, to me anyway. I'll, I'll um send a copy to my side. Will. Thank you. Uh. Yeah, it's a short one, and there's a movie, too. Send a copy to Misa. Comma, she isn't available for app, though. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, Star King by Jack Vance. Uh, that's something Paul talked a lot about, so that's out on. And then there's a blank. Before Robinson Crusoe, which Mice is already in for, but Evan is going to be on vacation. It says, so yeah, that, that's a big book. I'm, I'm, I'm down for the Sea Wolf just because it's it's awesome. Yeah, I'm I might even that. reread it. I'm not going to reread The Shining though. You I should reread The Shining, and you should also reread the. Sea I just Wolf. reread The Shining like three months ago. I'm that's not read. enough. <laughs> Remember, you read a lot. That's your thing. You do. I, I'm doing my Stephen King read through too. I'm, I'm, I'm in Black House. You're gonna have I'm to Black House, and I just read that like a year and a half ago. That's too much rereading. Oh, Black House. Black House is amazing. I do not know. I've not read it. It's. It's. I don't know why fans don't dig this book more. Because they're not true. There's fans. a blind DJ who has like characters, all secretly. P- oh, Peter Straub and, and Stephen I, King. Of 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 bikers, a biker gang of brew beer beer brewing philosophy. Graduates. Says there's a chapter written around uh, Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. Oh yeah, there's a whole section on this is a, the whole like part, third part, Knights Plutonian Shore. There's a okay, lot of now I'm, I want to do this book. <sighs> you want to do Black House? Yeah, because I, 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 I put down Black House, but it's long. Oh shit! How long is it? Six hundred twenty-five pages. <laughs> Jesus, and tal- a sequel. Oh damn it! It's a no, sequel to the Talisman too. But you don't really need to read the Talisman, but it might help a little bit. It's connected to the Dark Tower too, which oh heaven, I can't. Which do all makes of it this. better. But you don't have to read the Dark Tower to understand. Black. It's like a murder mystery kind of thing. 
fantasy novel. That one's 656 pages, too, The Talisman. The Talisman why is, why is can't these guys write short? <laughs> Whatever. It's so good. Those books are so good. It's like Straub was saying, like they were talking for a while about doing a, a third book in this kind of, because it's one character. But it, it's not really a sequel, because The Talisman, Jack Sawyer, is like 12. And in Black Coast, he's like 40. So it's just like hmm. 40 and retire, a retired cop. It's like totally um, disconnected. How many hours is this? 625 pages sounds long. It's probably 25. Jesus Christ. I don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> I was complaining I'll, I'll, this book, I'll the four-hour book, is twice as long as it needed Black to be. House. Oh, my God. It takes too long to read. Mm. I'll just put it down here. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'll put it down in the garbage. How, how long is Shining? How long is The Shining? It's the not Shining that long. The Shining is probably 15 hours. So, it's like that other book is 10 hours longer than The Shining. Uh, how long is a sea wolf? That's got to be six hours, right? No, it's not. It's, that's, that's 12, 13. Really? Look, look. I'm looking it up. Sea wolf. Pretty long. Audible. Well, I'm clicking on it to see if it gives a. I'm going to say 12. That's my pr- price is right guess. Eight hours, 28 minutes. Okay. I was wrong. Off by a, uh, a third. Oh, by a lot, but they didn't write books crazy long for no reason back then. (laughs) (laughs) They said, "I can do this in a reasonable amount of time." Yeah. Martin Eden is so like fourteen hours there. The first like that one more. The first like hundred pages of Black House is like a bird's eye tour of the setting. That's it's weird. pretty amazing. It's pretty wild. I think I could. I think well, you, I, you zoom in on different characters in the in. Sounds life. good, but twenty five hours. Mm-hmm. John Barleycorn is only six hours. We should do that. I, I'm willing to do more Jack London. We, we got to space these things out. You can't do Heinlein's back to back to back, right? <laughs> you can't do. Uh, yeah. So. Um, I don't think we booked any other Heinleins, but I, I, we still have Prince Alberic and the Snake Lady. We should put that in somewhere. You're on vacation for so much. So. But put it on in the eight twenty one or something. You okay? Um, is that on the list there? There it is. All right. Uh, that's eight twenty one. There you go. There's something uh, going you gotta on. Sell, that you got to sell mice on that one. Uh, I did the audiobook. Oh, there's a plus. Is that is that Robert Heinlein? No, it's, it's Vernon um, Lee. It's somebody Vernon named Lee. Vernon Lee. Oh, so, Vernon. Oh, I see that. Okay. But who is Vernon Lee? Yeah. Explain. Uh, well, I don't really know anything else she wrote. Okay. What's 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 the, the plot? Book? Yeah. Um, it's it's like a fantasy book about a prince who looks at a like a tapestry and mm-hmm. starts to experience weird things in the tapestry. Oh yeah. Like, Sell it more, Evan. It's kind of a, <laughs> I don't really, there's something really interesting going on in this book. 
that's what all I can say. I'll, I'll try to sell you. Spoilers. Next time. There's something interesting going on. <laughs> oh, good. I I would hate to be spoiled as to what the interesting <laughs> thing was. Oh, Maybe he... Payajet is is the real name. Okay. Uh, here's the last little bit. Maria above the nameless slab, covering Prince Alberic, and that the rockery was also was never completed. Only a few marble animals adorning it, besides the porphyry rhinoceros. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the second when you type in the story. I'm the second thing that comes up. Yeah, it's not and very the, well known. And the verd antique apes and the water supply of being sufficient only for the greatest holidays. These things the traveler can confirm. Also, certain chairs and curtains in the porter's lodge of how of of the now long deserted red palace are made of the various pieces of an extremely damaged arras. Having represented the story of Albrecht, the blonde, and the snake lady. So that's how it ends, by some spoiler. Okay. <laughs> I think there's like. I always like to read the, the ending lady. first. Yeah, I, 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 I think it's a weird tale of some kind without having read it. Uh, to it's, H. It, 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 H. What's H. that? Like the, Rob, uh, the Morris one? Is, is it Robert Morris? William Morris? William Morris, that that weird fantasy he wrote, that like it's all about like the language and the right. experience of it, but like I'm going to sell ask, it to Misa. All right, Misa, mm, let's see. Uh, two H. This is this. This is the dedication. I hope you put this in the audiobook, Evan. To H H, the Rani Brook of Sarawak, and you say I don't know any of those words, right? <laughs> Yeah. Rani, R-A-N-E-E, sometimes spelled R-A-N-I, is basically queen or princess. Um, mm-hmm. Like for, rain, yeah. Yeah, for India, right? Um, Brooke, I believe, was the guy who took part of, uh, was it Indonesia? And said, I'm the king here, after the, the guy from... That area couldn't control pirates. Some British guy came in and said, uh, I can control the pirates. And he was granted a, a, basically a kingship over a, a part of Asia. And, um, that place is Sarawak. So, uh, this is on like a lot of men's adventures pulp magazines covers. <laughs> um, Sarawak. So it's like a weird history. Oh, uh, yeah. A Malaysian state in Borneo stretches along the island's northwest coast, includes many beaches, blah, 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 blah. So, you know the Sultan of Brunei, the richest person on the planet in some sense? Mm-hmm. Sarawak and, uh, Sarawak is like, um, part of, it's like a subset of a subset. Um, okay, and who's this guy? Oh, crap. So I, I believe this family, yeah, James Brooke, the first white Raja of, of Sarawak. So it's, uh, 18, mid 19th century. And this, I think this family's still like running things. It's, it's a very weird history. So this, this would be fun, weird history to dig into on, on top of this weird story that's dedicated to, uh, some lady who lives in this weird place. It's really weird. <laughs> so I like what I'm getting here is a really nice and weird. Yeah, yeah. Like I was saying, weird, weird. 1839, James Brooke, a British explorer, arrived in Sarawak. He and his descendants governed 
Santubong, the coastal regions where Sarawak came under the influence of the Bruneian Empire. Uh, the state uh, ruled the state from 1841 to 1840, uh, 1841 to 1946. During World War II, it was occupied by the Japanese. After the war, the last white Raja, Charles Vineyard Brook, ceded Sarawak to Britain. And in 1946, it became a British crown colony. Uh, Sarawak was so- granted self-government. So it's like a little piece of Malaysia that got turned into a tiny piece of Europe. But it was governed as if it was a Asian monarchy. Just a, like a, a weird, you know, footnote in the phenomena of colonization. Right. Like a like a guy um, said, "Hey, I I want to do colonialism too," but ended up doing it for, for himself personally rather than um, for the government on on from which he came, which is. You know, unusual. It's like a little mini Viking story, except in then I don't know, William of uh, Normandy sort of story. Okay. Yeah. Um. Okay, I'll try it. Well, the yellow I, book. Is, that's part of the selling point. The uh, the yellow book is the um, decadence, right, from the late nineteenth yeah. century. Yeah. Yeah, that is a selling point. That the yellow book is like one of those books mentioned Misa in um in uh Portrait of Dorian Picture of Dorian Gray which we uh, love. So Yeah, yeah, Oscar Wilde uh was saying <laughs> this is the stuff. So it's it's like pre weird tales weird tales uh with more um fabulousness. Sort <laughs> okay. Of and it's not long, right, Evan? It's like two hours, something like that. It might even be less. Okay, yeah, so that's that's. It's not a right super huge by. commitment. Okay. No. <laughs> okay, okay. I think an hour and a half. All right. <laughs> okay. We're, we're adding your name. One thirty-four. It's on. I'm in. That's for August, late August. You're committing to late August. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. It's important to uh, see why Heinlein's good and why he's bad. I think that him doing that second half of this book is like his bad instincts for making his books longer later in life. Yeah, but probably with pressure, be. probably, too, from some editor. Uh, just Yeah, probably just John W. Campbell saying, yeah, that was great. Uh, finished off the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know that for sure, but it seems likely. Because the first one is self-contained, I think. And the second one is like, it's sort of consequential of it, but we didn't need to see any of that. Really. No. There's a no. couple things I liked, but uh, I was like, maybe don't need this. Yeah, it just got sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it actually got w- er, more, sa- sadder, more sad. More sad. We, we could have imagined that. sad. We yeah. could imagine a happier ending, right? We everybody I did imagine gets off a happier ending. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the women, the women were liberated. I was honestly, I was expecting something to happen with those women. I was expecting them to suddenly, I don't know. They don't even have, have names. Some sentience, no. and and like you know, they've actually had an underground all this time. The women, and for it to have flourished, because you could why rewrite, do you make such a point? You rewrite it being, from the women's point of view. They knew no, the whole well, time, or whatever. I thought that something was going to happen. <laughs> no. I did think something was going to happen. Yeah, no, I think that just, that's that's why they get smacked in the face and lose a tooth. 
there was a lot of there was a lot if you if you look at the like tiny details there's a lot of physical violence people getting hit in the heads smacked around and then you know lots of stabbings later on as well but mostly those long swords yeah but mostly it was like um it was the sort of heinleinian uh dialogue where you you just say um oh you don't agree with my point on on this particular philosophy into the matter converter with you right like it's just (laughs) silly right but Mm -hmm. when you have the physical violence of people getting smacked around smacked in the head for being a bad slave or having a bad wrong thought um yeah and uh, who is the straw man character in this book by the way because heinlein loves a straw man who is the most straw man person Oh. Define straw man. Uh so like they, I forget their names. The the engineer. I was thinking guy. it was the captain. The cap. Mm. So what what uh, what is a straw man? I'll type it in. Straw man. Uh, a weak or imaginary opposition, such as an argument or an adversary, set up only to be easily confuted. <laughs> Oh. I'm I'm easily confuted. What the hell does <laughs> <Yeah>. confuted mean? <laughs> Confute. <laughs> Define. Uh, prove to be wrong. Confute. I've never heard this word before. I spent my whole life being confuted, and I didn't even it's know. It's a good word. It's a good word. Apparently. Uh, so the captain is a, is a lazy, indecisive, uh, not thoughtful... Um, and he say like, whatever you decide, right. With regard to, uh, Hugh's fate. And he's supposed to be like the guy in charge and the guy who's, so it's almost like a, uh, criticism of religion, a criticism of politicians as being, you know, we think Biden has the reins under control. (laughs) Justin really, you know, he's well informed and, (laughs) Nope. Mm-hmm. Nope. Not at all. Conf- confuted. So, but the captain was so, um, like, not there. Like he was not an. Uh, he didn't do anything. Nope. The captain's so the guy who just said, like, just execute this guy. Just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like, it, was it was more like inconsequential. Yeah, it, it wasn't even execute him. It's like if you think, yeah, I guess we could execute him. Like he wasn't like. He was prepared to listen to arguments, right? And the, the guy says, you know, it's there's three options. One, he's he's brain damaged. Two, he's uh, he's um, a heretic. Three, and they're all uh, all of them go to the matter converter, right? Mm-hmm. So, and uh, like the captain was impressed with the third one, which is um, he was deluded or something. I don't remember what it was, but the. The important part is the captain was supposed to be the guy in charge of everything and really didn't, he wasn't in charge of anything. He didn't yeah. know anything, was easily manipulated. Um, yeah. I think it should have just ended basically where, you know, I, we're re rehashing now. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Have a great day, everybody. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. All right. Bye. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. 
please join us at www.sffaudio.com. for a follow-up to this you do i do um uh but i i think i have to introduce it gently (laughs) i'm gonna go get some water i'll be right right back okay just a second did we get evan yeah i'm here how you doing okay everybody's got covid but you my kids got covid i didn't go see them this this weekend well, now it doesn't matter because the U.S. dropped the requirement for international travelers to be tested. Oh, it doesn't matter if you got COVID or not. Well, we'll take you. If I get it, I could get out. I could. I work from home for the last couple of weeks, which wouldn't be horrible. <laughs> Just I, go I can't around go to, I can't coughing go to people. COVID. Yeah, <laughs> but it's paperwork and shit, so. Well, that's fine. I don't know. I might still do it, but yeah, I probably half at it. I think. I can't. I think if probably. Taiwan had U.S. population, it'd be like a million cases a day right now. It's wow. really ridiculous. It's like the maskiest country on the, the planet, and the, and maskiest the country. Masks don't work. I'm starting uh, to think. You think? What about Maybe what about the, uh, what about the vaccines in preventing it? Well, <laughs> it's probably making people that? less sick. Like the death rate's pretty low here, so I don't think that's that something. that's the cause. I don't think that's the cause. I don't know. The government's harassing me to get my third shot. I'm getting, they're actually harassing you. Well, they're sending me text messages. Hey, you didn't get your third shot. Why didn't you get really? your third shot? Oh, I'm not getting those. Well, you you live in uh, Rob Fordville. Which is probably I do, I do. They took away all mask. I actually took away all mask mandates here now. Yeah, uh, I think. Yeah, that's what Taiwan's never gonna do. I think. Like <laughs> the CDC director here, they was asked about this. Like it's fucking everywhere, right? Like you're gonna have herd immunity. It's like half of Taiwan's had it. Why do we still need masks? Like they have the worst, most ridiculous mask mandates. I think I talked about it before. Like if you're walking around outside. You're supposed to wear a mask. You can be fined like 500 US dollars for not wearing a mask walking outside. And then someone asked about that. Like, can you start to pull back the mask mandates? Like, it's one thing in the, on a bus or on a metro, but Mm -hmm. when you're walking around, it's a joke. And then he said, like, oh, it's, it's good at preventing other effects. (laughs) It's like, what? So it's just authoritarian. We're never going to not have to wear masks here. Isn't like now they're saying monkeypox is airborne and that's right. Fuck. It's like yeah, yeah. They're gonna they're gonna have to work a lot harder to sell monkeypox. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people are starting to get wind of of this not being a legit thing. <clears throat> I um I I was telling Misa I have a idea for a follow up book on this. Um, uh, it's. Aurora? It's no, um, uh, because Aurora is kind of like this, but aborted, I guess, right? Well, it's thematically, I think, quite different. We can talk about it later. But. So, uh, but Paul's not coming. Pa- Paul uh, was not scheduled for today. No, um, he oh, de- he brought himself. up Aurora last week. So, what did he? I thought he, 
Was that last week? Well, he retweeted something about Aurora, so I thought I assumed he was on because it sounded like he was like on a, He likes punishing himself by thinking of bad thoughts, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, remember that time I felt bad? Let me bring that up. Because um, <laughs> well, we had—I don't know, my say, I don't think you were here for that, but yeah, the Aurora like show. Me and Jesse were kind of going pretty hard on him for his. Well, we'll talk about it a bit in it, in this. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm I'm sure I wasn't. Yeah, it was, it was just, it was an an unrelated book. Um, maybe it was a Robert E. Howard or something, but, um, we were talking about space opera and generation ships. And I haven't read Aurora and Evan hasn't read Aurora, but Paul's read read Aurora. Oh, did you? Okay. I've read it. Yeah. Okay. Had you read it at the time? Well, yeah, I'd read it at the time. And like, I think the thing that, like, he was like I mentioned, and he was kind of like I don't remember that. And I thought that was the main point of the book. It wasn't so much that you would just be struck down by a disease the minute you land on another planet. It, you know, like the war of the worlds kind of thing. Mm. That's kind of old. But the the interesting thing is like, and there's hints of it here too. I suppose is that mm-hmm. they were like fascist expansionists. That's why they sent out the generation ship. And yeah, everyone I, just forgot. We everyone should forgot. we should save this for the actual show. I got I got um. Uh, I'm going to propose this now, and then it'll be bu- bubbling under your brains during the actual recording, you know? Um, and then we'll talk about it maybe at the end. So, um, there is a, uh, not a Heinlein book, a, uh, Larry Niven book. <laughs> See, I knew I had to bre- preach this gently. Um, that is called, uh, The Integral Trees, or apparently it's supposed to be pronounced the Integ- Integral Trees. But I think it's the integral trees. Um, and it's, it's a pretty cool concept. Um, it starts, uh, at the end or basically it's kind of like how this book starts, but they, they are the survivors of a generation ship. Um, and they don't know that, right? Um, but they don't live on a planet <laughs> and they don't live in a spaceship. They live in a gas bubble around a star. Um, so they live in free fall, right? And that gas bubble is oxygen and nitrogen, just like, you know, Earth. But they live uh, as sort of parasites or uh, squirrels <laughs> on giant trees that are um, spinning and creating centrifugal force um, orbiting around this star. And uh, throughout the course of the book, they have like a uh some sort of tree disaster their tree breaks in half or something and uh they uh eventually figure out uh where they came from and that they came from a place that's uh planetary or something like that and they i think they find the um the ship's boat or something in outer orbit of this thing so it's uh it's 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 more like um the results of what we see at the end of this book. And, uh, I remember it being, um, interesting. I remember being blown away by the idea because it's, it's, uh, it's like ring world. It's a big idea book. Mm-hmm. Um, and you explore the world and I don't remember the characters at all other than they, they, uh, they have, um, they're very long. <laughs> they have long legs and long arms and their hands, uh, are hands, but their feet are also hands. Because they're used to scrabbling up the uh, the tree, as it were. So they're they're basically they're human squirrels, 
except <laughs> they're not furry. <laughs> sort of reverted back to their monkeyness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, they operate a lot in free fall, so they they uh, they're used to to it, which is uh, something not addressed in this book. So, uh, don't say yes, don't say no. <laughs> Just have that in the in your back pocket. It's not set in the um, in the same uh, known space universe of Larry Niven's, you know, pr- protector and uh, ring world and stuff, but it, it is a part of a alternate one, which um, is pretty good. Uh, the first story is called Rammer. It's about a guy who's a corpsicle and he's put on a spaceship and he's sent uh, off to explore the galaxy, uh, even though he doesn't want to. Um, and uh and then that got turned into a novel which is set in the same universe but they they're not uh sequels however there is a sequel to uh the integral trees which i have not read it's called the smoke ring um so i guess it it's like uh the um common sense to uh to the integral trees universe if mm. that makes sense um, I don't know that they were definitely inspired by this book, but it makes a lot of sense that they would have been. So, um, that out of the way, any, uh, any, uh, important hot takes from uh, Twitter I need to deal with, uh, Evan, or you need to tell I don't about? think so. No, okay. I've been, I, it's been a while. Here's, this is more personal. It's been a while since uh-huh. I've been like blown away by a history book. Can't really uh-huh. Oh yeah. You're dug in. It's book. this global crisis, uh, about the 17th century crisis. And some of the stuff I knew, like uh, about the you know global cooling and little ice age, right? And some of the rebellions of the time. But he puts them all together. He puts like the climate change with the population stagnation and the like political legitimacy crisis across the world. And, and he looks at it globally, like you know the Ottoman. Like a lot of people kind of know this from a European point of view. The English Revolution and the revolution, the revolts against Louis the Fourteenth and all that, but he, this guy shows how it's really a global thing and it's all connected to the climate and to uh, the like the harvest failures that happen around the world and the El Nino cycle and all that. And that's really cool how he connects all that together. And then it's just like every page, it's like. Oh fuck! We're in the 17th century crisis in a lot of ways. Yeah, Evan that's sent fascinating. Me with, with like highlight really passages, one of them is yeah, like in many the, 17th century cities, growing dependence on fossil fuels created new problems. Any disruption in supply soon produced general misery. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or um, like like suicide rates, or you know, that's something he talks about. Or falling birth rate is a major thing that he emphasizes a lot of. And it wasn't just everyone was dying off; it's just like. People are choosing to have smaller families. Mm. Wow. And that was all part of the crisis, and, and we're sort of living that, too. Were, um, were a lot of people becoming gender fluid? Um, <laughs> no, I know, but I do think there's a, a, a beginning of a breakdown in kind of the, the moral order of oh, okay. uh, that was really established, that was still quite, quite alive in the 16th century, in the Reformation era. And there was, at least in Europe, there was that like, spiritual crisis. Uh, I don't know if that was a cause or effect yet. I haven't quite got to that part of the book if he really takes it on. But, you know, the kind of the move towards secularization, the scientific revolution was also symptoms of like a breakdown in confidence in the, you know, this cultural and spiritual aspects of the order. And I think that we're living in a certain degree. Um, what's this but book yeah, called? Like, 
it's called Global Crisis by by Jeffrey Parker. I think I looked it up, and it's not available as an audiobook, right? He's, he's he's done a lot of work on the 17th century, and this guy, I think he knows Chinese and maybe somewhat like maybe he knows Turkish or something because he's pulling up a lot of sources. Maybe he just read a lot of secondary literature, but he's 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 got game. He knows what he's talking about, and it's it's just. Yeah, the only audiobook I could find I, I was really a summary think, of it, I think. I do think we're kind of... Oh, it says not, coming not soon. Every way. We are living this crisis in, in some ways, reliving it. Like inflation, that was part of it. Oh like my god, this book is 54 for- hours, bud. It's going to be a 54-hour <laughs> yeah, like, book. It's like a thousand pages, yeah. Oh my god. But uh, like governments at war... Uh, and I don't think war is as common as it was in the 17th century, but military spending is way beyond anything it was. But it all being funded by debt and currency debasement and that feeding in the crisis, urbanization, unsustainable urbanization um, for the material conditions of time, on and on. Great stuff. Wow. Sounds like that would that'd be great to have like for, you know, to walk for the next six months with it. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's, gonna, it's coming out December 2022. It says as an hmm. audiobook, so uh, you'll you'll have all of 2023 to. Have all 2023 to. to do. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, it's for like a synthetic history book covering a whole century. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. War, uh, climate change, and catastrophe in the 17th century is the subtitle. So, hmm. um, by the time this podcast comes out. Uh, we will have it in our hands. There we go. <laughs> All right. Uh, you guys want to do a show on... Uh, uh, I, I need to warn you. Some, um, yeah. I've, got, I've got my daughter's dog here. Okay. So um, it's, it's it's her first day. So she might, you know, cry or scream or bark or something. Uh, how, how old is this new dog? Seven months. Seven months old. Oh. I've got her for a month. Well, I'm going yeah, to need to see some pictures. Yeah, she's sweetie pie. I will send you pictures. Very nice. Uh, how is... Uh, how is she doing with your, your... The cats are hunting her. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, so that makes sense, they right? They stalk her, and they scratch her, and they Aww. keep her in a state of abject terror. So That's um, <laughs> what cats do. <laughs> Luckily, yeah. uh, the dog's bigger than the cats, so it's not likely to end in a, a an eating. No, there won't be an eating. They just, they're going to try and rip their head off. Yeah. <laughs> rip the head off and try and bring you the corpse. Um, yes, we'll try. Okay. Um, here we go. Uh, Jesse, Misa, Evan, I guess. I don't know. Really? I think it's I don't probably know. the other way. I don't I know. Let's go, let's I don't, go the other way. No, you, you can think? demote me. I've been kind of flaky lately. I don't know. I, 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 I It's not demoting. It's just it's supposed to have a logic to it. Uh, let's just do this thing. Here we go. Countdown for blastoff. X minus five, minus four, minus three, minus two, X minus one, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand would-be worlds. The National Broadcasting Company presents X X, 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 X
Tonight, Universe. We are just beginning to discover how boundless our universe really is. And yet as man reaches out to the stars, out toward infinity, ironically enough, he may be building himself a new kind of prison. What would it be like to live all your life in a world no larger, say, than a single gigantic rocket ship bound on an endless mercy? Look out! You all right? Yes. Just missed me. What was it? A mutant with a slingshot, I think. Must have dashed down that passageway. Want to go after it? Oh, we'd never catch it, Alan. Probably 12 decks above us by now. I didn't think they ever came down this far. Patrols usually get them before they reach this level. They get more daring with each generation. This one looked like a female. Uh, male or female, it might have killed us. I told you this trip was pure foolishness, climbing 24 <laughs> deck levels to hear a crazy old man rave. All right, Alan, we're almost there now. Let me see, compartment X, 15, level 24. Now, this is the place. This area smells as if it hadn't been visited by a sanitation crew for generations. Mm. This part of the ship is almost deserted. Yes? Is this the compartment of John the Witness? Who are you? My name is Hugh Hoyland, cadet from Scientist Barracks. This is my friend Alan Mahoney. What do you want of John the Witness? Well, only to talk. Are you a believer in Jordan? Naturally. I have heard that there are those among the younger scientists who doubt the word of Jordan. To doubt is death. We're not heretics. Ah, enter. I've brought you a gift of tobacco, grown on the richest level. Oh, it smells good. I assure you, it's of the best. Wait here. I'll get him. What a rat's nest. What the devil do you think he can tell you? Alan, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Well? Are you John the Witness? I am. Good evening to you. I'm Hugh Hoyland. This is my friend, Alan Mahoney. What brings a gentleman of the scientist class to my humble compartment? I've heard that you and your parents before you have been keepers of the legend of the ship. Since Jordan gave the word. I'm anxious to hear the word as Jordan spoke it. Why? Because our young scientists, well, among them, there have been some who talk against the word. There are regulations against such heresy. Still, some of them say the ship has no purpose. They say that we are here accidentally, that we have no more grace in Jordan's eyes than the most deformed mutant who dwells in the highest level of the ship. What shall I say to you? Well, I wish to hear the word from the mouth of one who knows, in order that I may become more convinced. Sit. You have a gift for the witness? The finest tobacco. Good. I will dim the lights. Now pay close attention, for these are the words as my father's father's father gave them to his son's son's son. This is how the ship came into being. 
how our people were created. In the beginning there was only Jordan, thinking his lonely thoughts. Out of his thoughts came a vision. Out of the vision came a planning, and out of the planning came decision. Jordan's hand was lifted, and the ship was born. Mile after mile of good compartments, tank after tank for golden corn, ladder and passage, door and locker fit for the needs of the yet unborn. He looked on his work and found it pleasing, meet for a race that was yet to be. He thought of man, and man came into being. Then Jordan checked his thoughts and searched for a key. Man untamed would shame his maker. Man unruled would spoil the plan. So Jordan made the regulations, and order came to the works of man. A crew he created to work at their stations, Scientists to guide the plan. Over them all he created captain, made him judge of the race of man. Thus it was in the golden age. These are the true words? As my father's father taught them. But what of the strange beast-like people on the upper levels of the ship? Surely Jordan did not create them. Jordan is perfect. All below him lack perfection. You have heard of the legend of Huff? I have heard that he mutinied against Jordan. Darkness swallowed the ways of virtue. Sin prevailed upon the ship. And before wisdom prevailed and the bodies of Huff and his followers were fed into the converter, some of the rebels escaped and lived to father the mutants. They are tainted with the sins of their fathers. Witness, one more question. Speak. What is the ship? The ship is a great sphere... 25 kilometers wide and 100 levels deep. I know that, but the upper levels... Regulations forbid us to venture into the upper levels, but it is said that beyond the levels of the mutants lies the forbidden place where Jordan's spirit prevails. So I've heard, yet something troubles me. Something which prompted my coming here. Yes, my son. What lies beyond the ship? What? What lies beyond the ship? This is heresy. Answer me. I will not permit such talk. The ship is complete. The ship is universal. The ship is everywhere. The, the ship is endless. The Your mutterings a... are those of a frightened old man. No. They answer nothing. You, you question the word. I think you lie. Hear me, Mr. Hoyland. For what you have already said, I can have your body fed into the converter. Your soul launched on the endless trip. You threaten me. You, for Jordan's sake. Do you think I fear this dried fig of a man? You! Sir, my friend is impetuous. He, he does not understand. I might be persuaded to forget a, a substantial gift. Why, you pig! You! Alan, come on. The sight of this so-called holy man offends me. No, you shall not leave. Don't try to frighten me with that gun, old man. Remain where you are, heretic. I warn you, put down that gun. No, 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 closer. Drop it. No, very well, then. Death to the heretic. Alan, get him. Oh, Alan, he's not breathing. Is he dead? I, I, I don't know. Come on, Hugh, we've got to get out of here. Right. Nowhere. We can't go back. They'd feed us into the converter before we could even... 
What's that? An alarm. That old woman must have turned it in. Come on, Alan. The patrol will be here in no time. Where can we go? Yes, where, where? The upper levels. No, the mutants. We'll have to take our chances. Come on, Alan. Let's go. Listen, that's the patrol. Come on, we've got to climb. There's a hatchway. Down the corridor. Right, quickly, oh, quickly. Oh, early fire. Alan, Alan, up ladder. Up. far away from the outside wall. Uh, judging by the <sighs> slope of the deck. About two miles. Well, um, let's try this passageway here. If you hadn't asked him that stupid question. Now, there's no use going over that. But why did you do it? I've been thinking about it for a long time. When he began to give me those stupid pat answers. Well, I just saw red, I guess. Well, who are you to question the ways of Jordan? When you asked me to go with you to visit the witness, I I thought you wanted spiritual help. I, I never I'm dreamed. I'm sorry, Alan. I'm sorry. I couldn't foresee this. Wait. Wait a minute. What? I thought I saw something move. Where? Near that bulkhead. I don't see anything. Maybe my eyes are going bad. <laughs> oh, listen! You behind us! Alan, look out! What are you? Uh, 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 that knife. Keep away from me, you. Don't kill him. Not yet. Who are you? You must forgive my friend Bobo. Like so many of my people, he's rather impetuous where members of the so-called super race are concerned. Who are you? What place is this? As you can guess, from my leg. I'm a mutant. Mutant? Where? Where is Alan? Your friend is dead. Dead? I was not able to restrain my people in time to save him. Why don't you destroy me and get it over with? We do not kill for pleasure, Mr. Harland. Only when necessary. You know my name? I read your identification tag. Who are you? Mutants can't read. My name is Gregory. Gregory? I'm a leader of my people. You see, although we are unfortunate in our heredity, Mr. Hoyland, many of us are quite intelligent. Then why do you live like animals? We'd rather live like free animals than like regimented slaves, as you do. I've heard you practice cannibalism. Undoubtedly, you hear many things about us. You turn your head. Why? That... That monster. I've never seen a creature like him. Bobo is an unfortunate. He was born without the power of speech. How can you tolerate such a monstrosity? We've learned to live with difference. If we began to destroy our imperfects as you do on the lower levels, there would soon be no one left. It violates the regulations. The word of Jordan you states know, Mr. Highland, that your people are really quite primitive and barbaric. You dare say that to me? I dare say a good deal more. Let us go to my compartment and speak further. I'm always interested in information on the lower levels. I'll give you no information. Bobo. No. Mr. Hoyland in my cabin, please. No. No. I would advise you to go quietly, Mr. Hoyland. Bobo has a hatred of superior beings, which is unfortunate, but quite understandable. Proceed. Proceed. 
Enter Mr. Hoyland. This is where you live? Yes. But you have books? Stolen from your libraries, Mr. Hoyland. Compton's Astrophysics, Philosophy of Interstellar Navigation, Celestial Mechanics. You've read these? Most of them. I had no idea that you... Why did you bring me here? What do you intend to do? Do you believe in Jordan, Mr. Hoyland? There is no other belief. And the trip? I suppose you believe in the trip, too. What else is there to believe? When you die, your remains are fed to the converter and your soul makes the trip. And where does the trip take you? By to Centaurus, of course. Ah. And where or what is Centaurus? Centaurus is... Mind you, I'm just telling you the orthodox answer. Centaurus is where you arrive when you've made the trip. A place where everybody is happy and where there's always good eating. And you believe this? Well, the peasants believe it literally, but many of the younger scientists, like myself, know it is figurative and symbolic. Why do you ask? Did it ever occur to you, Mr. Hoyland, that the trip is exactly what your peasants believe it is? What? And that the ship and all the crew were actually going somewhere, moving... Ship can't go anywhere. It already is everywhere. Imagine a place bigger than the ship. Much bigger. bigger. With the ship inside it. Moving inside it. There can't be any place bigger than the ship. There just wouldn't be any place for it to be. Oh, for half's sake, listen. You know the lowest level? Of course. If you started digging a hole in the lowest level, where would that hole go? It's forbidden to think such thoughts. Where would it go? I can't think about it. Bobo. <laughs> We're going to take Mr. Hoyland to the place. No. Where are we going? To the top level. But that's certain death. Nonsense. I've been there a thousand times. Come along. No, I won't. I won't. You can't make me. I think we can. (laughs) Please. Now, shall we proceed peacefully or shall I have Bobo persuade you? Open the door, Bobo. Inside. place is this? This, Mr. Hoyland, is the main control room. Mr. Hoyland, you're trembling. It isn't true. No. No, there's no such place except in mythology. Ah, you younger men are so wise, Mr. Hoyland, except for one thing. This happens to be the main control room of the ship. Main control? But it's just a huge room with an instrument panel. And what did you expect? How do you know this is the main control room? See these instruments? Using them, the navigator, many hundreds of years ago, actually steered the ship on its voyage. I don't understand. I didn't suppose you would. Sit down. Very well. Look up. What do you see? A huge shield. Watch it for one moment, Mr. Hoyland. You're going to see something that few of us have ever been privileged to witness. What are you doing? I'm dimming the lights. Don't be frightened. Keep your eyes focused on the shield above us. Ready? It's sliding back. Coast of Jordan. Well? What am I seeing? The universe, Mr. Hoyland. The universe and all its beauty. The stars, the planets, the suns and moons and constellations. No. No, it can't be. The ship is the universe... 
There is nothing but the ship. Ah, but there it is. You see it before your eyes spread out like a canopy of glory. Do you still deny it? Answer me, Mr. Hoyland. Do you deny it? No. No, I can't deny it. They've lied. They lied to all of us. Good. I have showed this to others of your people whom we captured, and though they saw it before their very eyes, they would not believe it. Please. Please tell me all about it. Tell me the truth about the ship and about the universe. What are these things? How did this come about? Many thousands of years ago, on a planet like those you have just seen, a planet called Earth, a scientist named Jordan decided to build a ship that would carry men from one planet to another. For many years, Jordan and thousands of others studied and planned. And when they were finished, they built the ship. A ship so large that it had to be assembled in its own orbit beyond a place called the moon. Sixty years it took them to construct. And when it was finished, a whole new science had been conceived. Then the trip was begun. The trip that was to land a colony of Earthmen on a far-off planet called Centaurus. Millions of light years beyond the furthest planet ever reached before. How do you know these things? Among my books are the log which Jordan himself kept and the records of the journey for the first 40 years. What happened? There was a mutiny. A man named Hath led a rebellion of those who wanted to turn back. In the struggle... The navigators were killed, and the crew fell into a state of anarchy. In the years to follow, small groups of men tried to organize the ship for navigation, and each time they failed. Finally, the whole idea was abandoned. And so, for centuries, we have swung in space, unmanned, undirected, living in a lost world of our own making, without purpose, without direction. Why have you told me this? Can't you guess? You want to finish the trip. Yes, but I can't. You can't? Look at me, Mr. Hoyland. You see, a mutant, a man with a twisted leg. My people are outcasts, condemned to death if we so much as set foot in the lower levels of the ship. The main drive is in the lower levels where my people are forbidden to go. Oh. It would mean that both our people would have to work together. Our differences encouraged rather than denied. All right. I'll see the captain himself. I have an uncle on the central board. I'll tell him what I've seen here. And do you think he'll believe you? Send one of your people with me. That's... Asking a good deal. I'm risking a good deal by going back. Very well. Bobo will go with you. Bobo? He can't talk. There will be no need for talk. I will write a message guaranteeing safe conduct for a group of unarmed scientists to visit the main control room. Bobo will take you safely through our territory. What happens when you reach your own level is up to you. Yes, what? You. Quick, Uncle, let us in. Hey, but this, this mutant. He's harmless. Please, Uncle, please. 
Now, what is this? You're wanted for... I know all about that. Uncle, listen. I must see the captain. The captain? Are, are you mad? Uncle, you're a council member. You can get me to see He'll him. He'll kill you. You're wanted for heresy. I don't care. I must speak with the captain. Now, Uncle, you're close to him. You can arrange it. I, I don't understand. Listen to me. The ship is moving. I can prove it. Do you understand? There is a purpose in the ship. I don't understand what you're babbling about. Now, never mind. Just talk to the captain. Tell him I have information of tremendous importance. Tell him I've arranged a truce with the mutants. Truce? Here. Show him this paper. Signed by their leader. Do it, Uncle, for my sake. I don't know what... Uncle, please, if I'm to die, let this be my last request to you. Very well. I'll speak to the captain. Mr. Hoyland, that you saw this with your own eyes? I swear it, Captain. I swear it on the word of Jordan. Hmm. Uh, let me see the paper again. Commander Erst, what do you think? I don't know, sir. It might be a trick. I guarantee you safe conduct. If these things are as Mr. Hoyland reports them, it would pay to risk a few lives. A man is a convicted heretic. Still, we must not discount his word he has a safe conduct, and the mutant risked its life coming with him. I think we might investigate. Captain, you mean you will do it? I will have an expedition outfitted. Dismissed, Mr. Hoyland. Thank you, sir. Captain, do Commander you... Earth. Sir. You will make the necessary arrangements for an expedition... And I trust you understand? Perfectly, sir. Perfectly. Lieutenant. Mr. Hoyland. Hey, you better halt your men here. This is the spot. Patrol! Halt! Well, I see no welcoming party of mutants. <laughs> There'll be none. Their leader will meet you inside the main control room. You don't say. Just where is this main control room? Beyond that door. I see. All right, man. Ready up. Lieutenant, why do you ready arms? In case of ambush. Ambush? Now, wait a minute, Lieutenant. What are those men doing with that ray gun? Just aiming it at the door. Are you mad? No, Mr. Hoyland, but most certainly you are to think that we could be lured up here to be slaughtered with a fantastic story about some mythical control room. Guns ready, Lieutenant, sir. Lieutenant, I warn you, these people have acted in good faith. You can't break that faith. Oh, mutant! Come out! For Jordan's sake, Hold Lieutenant! Let it be quiet for comfort. Mutant! Open the door! Please, Jordan, don't let anything happen. Oh, this opening. Ready, men. Someone's coming out. Steady. Gregory, stay back! Fire! You fools! You've killed him! Here come the rest of them. Fire! Fire! That should teach him a lesson they won't forget. All right, men, inside the room. 
You're under arrest as a conspirator in this ambush. Ambush, you fool. You blind, stupid fool. All right, that'll be enough. You've been inside this place before? Yes. What's this machinery? These are the controls he would have used to steer the ship. Gone out of his mind, Lieutenant. Steer the ship? Who? The leader, the one you killed. <laughs> this ugly mutant? This ugly mutant. Happened to be a man of true genius. Why, you're mad. Am I? Lieutenant, this man had a vision which would have saved you, but you chose to kill him because you couldn't stand the sight of his difference from you. Shut up, Highland. Don't listen to him, man. You can't shut your eyes and you can't shut your minds and you can't shut your ears to this! Yes, look. Let the vision of this confound your ignorance and blind your eyes. This is the heritage of stars and open skies for which men have yearned for centuries. Try to destroy this, and you will only destroy yourselves. Death to the heritage. But I... I say to you that you can't keep this from our people. They... They will seek it out. The ship will be manned, and the ship will be steered, and there will be freedom, purpose, and respect for ourselves. This is your heritage. Look, look upon the universe. Kill him. Yeah. X-1 has just brought you Universe, a story written by Robert Heinlein and adapted for radio by George Lefferts. Heard in the cast were Donald Buca as Hugh, Peter Capel as Gregory, Bill Griffiths as Alan, Abby Lewis as the woman, Edgar Staley as the witness, Jason Johnson as the uncle, John Seymour as the captain, and Ian Martin as the lieutenant. Your announcer is Fred Collins. X-1 is directed by Fred Way and is a transcribed NBC Radio Network production. And now, next week, next week we have a strange story to tell. A sweet, blood-curdling little story that is really only two sentences long. The last man on earth sat alone in a room. And then there was a knock on the door. What knocked on that door? You'll find out next week on X. 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 X.